Montana? Okay. Okay. Okay, we're doing a sound check. Is this picking up at all? It is. How is it sounding in the back? Got one person in the back row there. Can you hear me okay? Good. Thank you. All right. Pardon me? All right, good. Thank you. I can't remember your name. Is it Bob? Yeah. Pardon me? It's only been a thousand years. Bob Davis. That's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it has been a thousand years. Okay. Our mic is good. I've got two. Super. I was trying to figure out how to lay the microphone. Very few places I work and have oh. sound available. So let's, yeah, let's get We're pretty. Started. Yeah. Well, I say I try to be pretty with it. I mean, sometimes I, sometimes I succeed. I might have to go turn this on. I might get turned on. And, oh, never mind. Son of a gun. This is the computer. Is there no headphones flaky, yet? No, it has one, but it's flaky. Oh. And I had to buy a little a little USB adapter for oh. it. And I don't I don't think I have that oh. with me. Yeah. Let me go make sure that I got this I can I can try it one time and see what happens. I still think we're going to have the same problem because it's the jack on the computer. Oh. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hook up my other computer. Okay. I can, I can use them both. Okay. So let's get... I can use this one for the presentation. Okay. 
try that cable one time just to see if this. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. How is everybody today? Great, like to hear that. Um, my name is Paul Dankert, and I am uh, with Chemical Bank, and we are sponsoring the event today. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with Chemical Bank, but we are the largest community bank uh, in the state of Michigan, uh, based out of Midland. Uh, we are celebrating our 100-year anniversary this year. And in the Lansing area, we have a production uh, loan production office. We do not have any branches in the Lansing area, but if you go north of here, and I believe south of here, you'll see chemical banks everywhere. You know, our, our goal is to hopefully grow this market in Lansing, get a couple branches here, 
But I do uh, residential lending. I think I've met a lot of you at some of these events. Um, I think somebody said today that I was the guy that brought in the uh, poppers uh, two weeks ago at the trade show. That was me. Um, it's my pleasure. Um, I am pleased to uh, introduce Richard Hein today, Rich Hein today, and he will be the speaker, and I will turn it over to him. Thank you. How's this working? Are we getting some? I can't. I can't. I can tell. I can't tell up here whether it's any different. It doesn't sound any different to me. So that's great. That's a mark of a good sound system. Okay, fine. So the appearance of dwellings in general has changed little in the past. And I can extend this now since this material is old. I can say 30 to 40 years. All right. Um, but while appearances have changed a little, construction technology has experienced significant changes. Now, some of you in this room may remember, I was just a child at the time, but there, there are a couple of you here that might even have a year or two on me. Do you remember when, you could, when we didn't have pre-hung doors? The carpenter would, would take material and construct a jam and take a mortise set which spaced out where the hinge, hinges would be, and that would, re, and then would remove material from the jam, okay, and do the same thing to the door, and then hang the door, right? We didn't have pre If you go back far enough, I don't think anybody in this room will remember it, but I, I assume a lot of us are aware of it. Some of these old farmhouses you appraise or sell, for those of you who are realtors and not appraisers, have windows in them that were built on site. They, they fabricated everything, and they might have had the, maybe the pane was, was the, the, the center of the window with the actual glass, and it might have been prefabricated, but in some cases it was not at all. Had to be, remember, window putty, glazing putty on windows? Yeah. See, all that stuff was done by hand, and over time, and I'm talking about site-built, okay? I'm not, I'm not into the factory-built yet. All that stuff was done by hand, and we didn't have trusses at one time, right? Now virtually all houses are built with roof trusses. But back whenever, they were rafter-style construction. So a lot of evolution has taken place in the housing industry, and a lot of stuff has gone toward prefab. Now, if you carry that logic to its conclusion, what does it become? <coughs> it becomes, well, why don't we just build a whole house in a factory and ship it out to the site? So that's where factory-built housing, this, this title of this seminar probably more appropriately would be what we need to know about factory-built housing. But manufactured housing is a little catchier, so that's the title, all right? But what we're really going to, a big part of what we're going to be able to do, to, or what we're going to do today, is make sure when you go out of here, you know how to distinguish between the different types of factory-built housing. And I'm going to give you some really, really good reasons why you want to be able to do that, like not getting sued, for one. How do you like that? <laughs> Is there anybody in here who wants to be sued? Of course not. Okay? So you want to know this information, if nothing else, and I can, I can give you a couple horror stories on that, all right? But the point here is, before I get too far off track, is while the appearance hasn't changed, construction technology has changed, more components are assembled in factories before, so 
Why not just do the whole house in a factory? Now, for the appraisers in here, understand that valuation issues are, there's no real difference between valuing, developing an opinion of value regarding a factory-built house versus a site-built house, other than the fact that it's a lot harder to find your comparables. But the process is still the same. The principle of substitution doesn't change. That still works the same. So there, aren't, there isn't a lot of stuff today on valuation. It's mostly on identification, distinguishing between the different types, um, and keeping yourself out of trouble. Uh, however, the inspection, report writing, and assignment conditions are different. So you value them the same way. You're reported on a different form, different format. There's different information required. Um, assignment conditions can be unique. And one of the things we're going to spend a, a, a fair amount of time on today is understanding quality differences. And that involves your inspection process. In other words, when you inspect a factory-built home, you want to be a little more careful. When you inspect a site-built home, you make a lot of assumptions. Especially, you know, you drive up to the house and you say, okay, fine, looks like it's a, um, a Q4 and um, it's this age, so I'm expecting it to be a, a C4, unless they've done some work on it, right? If you're, and if you're not an appraiser, it, that's a rating system we use for quality and condition, okay? Um, and you kind of expect that your bath fixtures, your kitchen cabinets are going to be within certain quality parameters. When you get into factory built housing, that is a lot broader range. More on that later today, okay? A couple of hours we'll, we'll, we'll be there. The appraisal of manufactured housing is evolving into a specialty. Fannie Mae requires that lenders ensure their appraisers have requisite knowledge and experience, blah, blah, blah. When you sign the form, Certification 11 on the 1004C, the Manufactured Housing Form, reads the same as Certification 11 on the standard URAR 1004 that you're accustomed to using. What does Certification number 11 say? I, I, nobody ever remembers it, so don't feel bad, okay? Very, yeah, very good. Says I know what I'm. I have knowledge with this type of property in this area. I'm paraphrasing it, but it says I'm geographically competent and I'm familiar with this type of dwelling. All right. So when you sign that certificate, whenever an appraiser comes to, I, I follow. I follow a lot of these appraiser forums and Facebook groups for appraiser, appraisers. Anybody else do that? Anybody active on those appraisers? There's all kinds of them. You are. I know that's right. That's right. Um, well, anyway, I do it for somewhat for entertainment value and also somewhat because as long as I'm still out here teaching, it helps me to know what kind of problems and issues appraisers are dealing with. And whenever I see somebody post on one of these Facebook groups or forums and it says, um, you know, I've never appraised a manufactured house before, blah, 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 give me some advice. Well, the first thing, first advice that comes to my mind in a situation like that is how are you going to sign the form? and honestly comply with certification number 11 that says you have experience with this type. And of course, I never get answered when I, when I post back, well, how are you going to handle certification 11? Silence, man. They, they usually, that usually kills the thread right there. All right? So just remember that. I mean, if you, 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 if you have never, if you're an appraiser and you've never appraised a manufactured home, all right, 
then at least on the first one, you need to buddy up with an appraiser who has, all right? And then you both sign it, or you just tag along. If you've got, you know, uh, if you've got, if you've never appraised a manufactured home, maybe you've got a few appraiser friends, you call them up and you say, hey, you appraised manufactured homes? Yeah, I get one every now and then. The next time you do this, could I come along with you and hold the dumb end of the tape, all right? Get some experience at it, and could I participate in the report? Otherwise, you're lying when you sign the certification, and Lord forbid you ever end up before the state board or in a civil suit on the thing, all right? And you're on the stand, and the attorney for the other side says, who's the appraiser expert on manufactured housing? And somebody says, well, I remember Rich Hine did a lot of that stuff. And they call me up. And my advice to them is, ask them about Cert 11 on the form. So that's, so it's real important that you have some experience at this. This class won't count as experience. It's good in terms of building your competency, but if you've never appraised a manufactured house, you find yourself an appraiser buddy and go out there and do it with them, or maybe you know somebody who lives in one, you say, hey, can I appraise your house for free? Okay, yeah, that would give you experience, wouldn't it? You could at least honestly sign the certification. Or here's another idea. I get one request every two years for a manufactured house. Fine, refer it to somebody else. I'm serious. Certain assignments just aren't worth the aggravation. I mean, some appraisers who, even if they get two or three requests a year, still say, ah, you know, it's a specialty item. I really don't think I want to go to all the effort of becoming competent at this, of taking the risk of dealing with stuff about which I, I don't have a lot of knowledge. And so the smart thing for me to do is call somebody else or just tell my client that on that one, why didn't you call so-and-so on it, okay? and just refer it because it's a specialty. It's a specialty or maybe you want to look at it in terms of, well, I don't get a lot of these, but maybe if I become good at it and let my appraiser buddies know about it, maybe they don't want to do them and they'll refer them to me. Either way, works either way. So let's give you some history. How, how did we get to where we are with factory built housing? And it starts with camping trailers. Here's the evolution, okay? It goes from camping trailers to house trailers, to mobile homes, to manufactured homes. And then it branches off into different types of factory-built homes, all right? So I don't think these guys were camping, but you get the idea, right? Living, moving and living at the same time, moving along, right? Uh, here's an early camping trailer. By the way, if you, if you want to have some fun, you want to take a nice day trip sometime, go down to Elkhart, Indiana, and look up the recreational vehicle and manufactured housing museum. I'm, I'm sure that's not the exact name, but you get the idea. Just, just get on a search engine and, you know, you'll, you'll find it. It's kind of nifty. They've got a nice museum. And the, uh, this is where I took a lot of these shots, all right? So early camping trailers, right away things start getting a little bit bigger and even bigger. And if you see this right here, it says Redmond Trailer Company, Alma, Michigan. Yeah, we're, we're in the heart. Michigan and Indiana are some of the leaders in 
uh, production of manufactured and factory-built housing. So we, now we go from camping trailers to house trailers. And there is no set and fast distinction on that, all right? In other words, is this a, a big camping trailer or is it an early, smaller house trailer? And the answer is, I don't know and I really don't care as an appraiser. It's still not within my purview of real estate, okay? Here's one of the reasons that house trailers became popular is after the war we had major infrastructure projects, dams, pipelines, highways, uh, nuclear, um, well even during the war, uh, the uh, nuclear facilities in Tennessee and Washington State for the atomic bomb had a lot to, uh, had, you know, they needed housing quickly. So what do you do when you, or, or if you're a pipeline, if you're building a pipeline, it's great. You just kind of move it as the pipeline moves along, you move along with it. So this is where house trailers start kicking in and the idea of using something like that for um, a more permanent type of living. The um, large number of uh, people coming back from World War II, getting out of the service, exercising their rights under the GI Bill, colleges all of a sudden need a lot of housing in a hurry. Well, the, the guys who were, the, the manufacturers who were building camping trailers before the war, that market dried up during the war, well they were only too happy to fill the bill in terms of providing something, can you provide something, the Department of Defense comes along and says, can you provide something larger than those camping trailers that people could live in more comfortably for longer period, yeah, yeah, we got the factories, we'll do it. So that's where, that's where a lot of the industry took off, is post-World War II. Now is this a large camping trailer? Or is it a small, early mobile home? Not sure. Don't care, all right? Mobile homes come along now, and they are, despite the name, they are not designed to be all that mobile, all right? Most of the case, the, most of the times, the only mobility that takes place is from the factory to wherever it's going to sit for the rest of its days, usually in a park. So the mobile homes come along in the, in the 50s, 60s, right in there. And again, it's hard to tell where do, where do, where do, housing, how, where do house trailers end and where do mobile homes pick up. Eh, you don't know for sure. Um, and in most cases, it doesn't really matter to us. So now we've got mobile homes, or as they say, wheel estate becomes real estate, right? And here's a couple, here's one on more or less of a, quote, permanent, end quote, foundation something you might still see today, especially north of here, all right? Oh, excuse me, I don't want to step on any toes. <laughs> and so now come manufactured homes, all right? Now this is, a, this is a, a, a significant event, so pay attention, all right? Because I'm going to get to manuf you know, mobile homes and manufactured homes, so I'm going to get to modulars in a few minutes, but the distinction between mobile and manufactured is really significant even though physically it may not be. They may look identical. What's the real significance of the differ from, from our perspective? Think liability, if nothing else. What's the significance, anybody want to take a, a, a shot at this? What's the significance between the distinction manufactured versus modular? 
Well, that's, that's, the distingu that's what makes them different, and we'll get to that in a minute. But why is it important to us? Foundation. Mm, foundation. What, what might happen to an appraiser who appraises a mobile home, all right, but calls it a manufactured home? Pardon me? They're creating a misleading report, so you've got potential problems with the state board if you ever get caught, right? That's one. House disappearing off the property. Of course, that could happen with manufacturer too. But suppose I'm buying a, a, a two-section house that was built in a factory, and the realtor misrepresents it or just doesn't know any better and says, well, it's a manufactured house, okay? And the appraiser, and somebody comes along and buys it. And the appraiser appraises it as a manufactured house. And later on, the owner decides to refinance it. And another appraiser comes along and says, well, that's a mobile home. Now, what is the owner thinking at that point? Say it aloud. Did I hear sue somebody? Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Right. And I can tell you, I can give you actual cases right here in Michigan of that happening, where the appraiser got sued because, and I think they dragged the realtor into it too. The realtor represented it as a manufactured home. Appraiser appraised it as a manufactured home. Later on, they found out it's a mobile home and that banks don't finance mobile homes for the most part, right? That was another thing I was fishing for earlier that I didn't get. Yeah, one of the key distinctions between mobile and manufactured is it's a lot easier to get a loan on a manufacturer than it is on a mobile. Consequently, mobiles sell for less. Even though they might be physically identical, they sell for less because the financing is more difficult to get. So if they sell for less, they're worth less. If they're worth less, that means I'm going to sue you because you said I was buying a manufactured home. And of course, I relied on your representations. Okay. In fact, in that case, just, just how many realtors do I have in here who are not appraisers? Oh, cool. Wonderful. I thought, I, I, well, this morning I checked with Courtney and I thought they, she said there were only a few. We've got about half and half. That's great. I mean, let me try this again. How many appraisers do I have in here that don't, at least maybe you're licensed as a realtor, but you don't often sell real estate? How many of you prime make your living as an appraiser? Let me get, get, get either going to have to answer one or the other so I know where I'm at. Okay, now, how many are not appraisers make your living primarily as a realtor? Okay, now, other than Paul, who is something else? Or who walked into the wrong room? Whatever. <laughs> if you don't mind my asking, just so I know who I've got in my audience. Sure. I'm a state licensed appraiser, but I'm also uh, the Delhi Township Tax Assessor. Say that slow. Delhi Township Tax Assessor. Gotcha. Okay, good. This will be good for you, too. Yeah, you'll like this. Okay, good. All right, good. That helps me a lot. I know my audience now. So I, I am going to digress more into the realtor area uh, than I would have otherwise. So anyway, yeah, if you're a realtor, you want to be darn sure what you're listing. Resist the temptation to make it sound better than it is, because this is one situation that it's going to come back and bite you. You know, nobody cares much, and it's, there's sort of an expectation for a little bit of leeway in terms of things like condition or what have you, all right, or quality. There's no room for leeway here unless you're one of those rare birds that like to live dangerously and always be walking on the edge. Because this, this can hurt you. This can hurt you bad. All right? 
All right, so let's go to manufactured homes now. A couple of images just to fill the screen while I'm yakking. Okay, these are mostly in parks. This is, this is what we refer to as a single section. This is what we refer to as a multi-section, okay? And these are, yeah, these are all manufactured homes. They're not modular, okay? Even this guy right here, that's a, that's a manufactured home, HUD code home. Now, preferred definitions and terminology. Before we go down this path, I want to just make something really clear. This is not about political correctness. It has nothing to do with it. It has to do with protecting yourself from liability and writing a report that can't be construed later on as being misleading. Okay? That's what this is about. Set your, you know, I, I've taught, when I was, I, I taught this thing so many times to appraisers. I went from what, I think I taught this thing like 275 times all over the United States. And I remember teaching in Duluth, Minnesota one day, and at the end of the day, my wife's waiting for me out in the lobby, and I'm, these guys are walking out. She overhears one of them saying, I don't care what he says, as far as I'm concerned, they're all house trailers. <laughs> Didn't get the point. Guy wasted seven hours of his life, all right? This is not about political correctness. This is about accurate reporting, keeping yourself out of trouble, serving your clients properly, all right? So the preferred terms are, if you've got a mobile home, it's a mobile home, it's not a house trailer, okay? Maybe you have a house trailer. That, that can happen. <clears throat> Manufactured homes. If they're a manufactured home, I'm going to give you the definitions in a minute and tell you how to distinguish between all these things. Don't worry about that. That's coming real quick. A manufactured home is not a mobile home. There's a difference. Modular homes are distinct from mobile homes and manufactured homes. And then you've got other categories like panelized homes, pre-cut, prefab, kit homes. And then, again, it's not a single wide, it's a single section. It's not a double wide, it's a multi-section, okay? Well, here's why. Be besides that, single section and multi-section are used as adjectives. They're not used as nouns. It's what is a single section what? Is it a single section mobile home or is it a single section manufactured home? I don't know of any, well, that's not true. I do know some single section modular homes. They're real rare. There's a place out in Kansas, Valentine, Kansas, that some, uh, there's a couple places out there that build 24 and 28 foot wide modular homes, one section. I talked to him on the phone. So, yeah, I was teaching this class in Seattle. Some gal from Kansas is telling me about this. And I said, yeah, that's all right. So she calls me up the next week and she says, here's the name of it, check it out. By God, she was right. Yeah, they build them like that. I talked to the guy at the factory. I said, you must, I, well, I said, you must have a restricted delivery radius. And he said, yeah, we do. We, we can only get them so far. But, they, you know, well, yeah, they move it like, they, like you move a house, you know, where you, the highway department comes through and some people buy the house and hire a house moving company. But they're pretty rare. But anyway, back on point here, single section, multi-section are used as, an adju as adjectives. It's a multi-section manufactured home. It's a multi-section mobile, whatever it happens to be. Just, you know, because when I say, when you say double wide, if I put the word double wide in a report, just stand alone, hey, this is the double wide house, what does that tell the reader? What does that tell your intended user? Does that tell your intended user what they need to know? No. What your intended user needs to know is a double wide what? 
So just use the multi-section. Yeah, they're manufactured housing communities. They're not trailer parks. And I know you drive down the road and it says Sunny Acres Trailer Park because they haven't changed one pay for new signs since the terminology changed. Okay, so what's a mobile home? A mobile home is a factory-built house on a permanent chassis constructed prior to the enactment of the HUD code on June 15, 1976. What's the HUD code? I'll tell you in a minute. I'll expand on that, all right? But a mobile home is built on a chassis, and it was built prior to June 15, 1976, a permanent chassis. What's a manufactured home? A manufactured home is a factory-built home manufactured under the Federal Manufactured Home Construction and Safety Standards Act, commonly known as the HUD code, all right? You'll be hearing me use that, you'll hear me use that term a lot this morning, HUD code. That's what I'm talking about. It rolls off the tongue a lot easier than Federal Manufactured Safety, Federal Manufactured Home Construction and Safety Standards Act. So I'm gonna say HUD code, all right? What's a modular home? Modular home is a factory-built home that was built in compliance with a building code other than the HUD code, such as um, UBC, BOCA, IRC. In, there, there used to be three main building codes, UBC, BOCA, and standard building code. Standard building code was popular down south, BOCA was popular up our way, and UBC was west of the Mississippi River. And they pretty much all got together at one point in time, and now it's all almost universal that it's IRC. So if you hear terms, though, you'll still hear the term used, especially in the Midwest. Well, that's a Boca house. Well, it just means it was built to the Boca code. I can't even remember what Boca stands for anymore. Um, the point is, it's built to the same code that a site-built home would have to comply with if it were built in that area, wherever the home is sited, okay? Now, Michigan's pretty much universally, universally IRC now. I don't know if anybody's still left on one of the old codes or not, but it doesn't matter. It just means it's a factory-built home, but it's not built to the HUD code. It's built to the same code that the site-built homes in this area are built, all right? Questions, comments, anything on it so far? So far, so good? What's the difference in the material? The difference in the material could be significant or it may not be significant. I'm going to get to quality issues later today, and that's a great question, and I'm going to cover it later on. Um, but I will tell you right now, I'm glad you brought that up, because it gives me an opportunity to make a statement that you will probably hear more than once today. You cannot distinguish between the different types of factory-built housing, mobile, manufactured, modular, and if you want to throw panelized and kid homes in there, you cannot distinguish between those homes on the basis of physical characteristics. You cannot go into a house and say, oh, it's got wall board and seven foot ceilings and da da da, da and the cabinets look kind of cheap, so it must be mobile or manufactured. Can't be modular, right? They don't build modulars like that. Eh, wrong, they do. Oh, it's got a metal chassis underneath, can't be a modular. Wrong. They do. You cannot distinguish on the basis of physical characteristics. You have to determine the code to which it was built. If you can't determine the code to which it was built, you've got a problem. Say again? Yeah, we're going to get into all that in a few minutes. I'm just giving, giving you the general rule right now. 
So as I take you through these how to identify the different ones, you understand the importance of it. You see, when you're teaching adults, you have to approach it differently. When you teach children, children are in a state of disequilibrium. Their schema or their view of the world is relatively weak at that point. And if you think of a schema as scaffolding, all right? You know what scaffolding is. They put it up to build a building. That's your schema, your view of life. Children have a relatively fluid and not fully developed schema, and they recognize it. So you can just tell them things and they believe it, all right? Adults, especially appraisers, tend to think they know everything already. So you gotta just knock them off their skids once in a while and put them into a state of disequilibrium, and then they pay attention. So see, I've got everybody's attention right now. Because when I told you, you can't do it on the basis of physical characteristics, I know, some of you already knew this, I know. But when I tell people that, it's like, well, what do you mean by that? I mean just what I said. You go around looking and saying something, saying, oh, it's got wallboard, it's got to be a mobile home or a manufactured home. Oh, it's got drywall, it's got to be a modular home. Uh-uh, going to get yourself in trouble. So stay with me, all right? The specific code here on modulars is relatively unimportant. The defining issue is that a factory-built home was constructed to a code other than the HUD code. It was built in a factory, finished in a factory, not HUD code. That makes it a modular. Now we get into the distinction. I told you a minute ago about, oh, it's got a metal chassis. It must be a HUD code house or an old mobile home. Nope, could be a modular. There are animals called off-chassis modulars and on-chassis modulars. Now, an off-chassis modular, you're typically going to, if you look in the crawl space or if it's over a basement, you're going to look up, you're going to see 2 by 10 floor joists or eye joists, all right? Just like you would in a site-built home. They're shipped to the job site on flatbed trailers or temporary carriers that are then taken back to the factory to use to transport them again. They're usually picked up and craned off the carrier. Carrier versus chassis or permanent chassis. But there is a variant, okay? They're designed to be put over a basement or crawl space. There is a variant called an on-chassis modular home that's built on a permanent chassis just like the vast majority, or virtually all I could say, manufactured homes. Yeah, they're not as common as off-chassis modulars. Again, we're talking modular homes now, but some of them are built on a metal chassis, and here's the kicker. Fannie Mae won't purchase loans involving on-chassis modular homes. So this applies to realtors and appraisers alike, because if you're listing a house and it's on a metal chassis, don't assume that it's a manufacturer. You're better off from a sales perspective, the appraisers don't care one way or the other on this, but for the realtors, you're better off if it's a manufactured home. Because if it's an on-chassis modular home, you gotta find a lender that's gonna put it in their portfolio or sell it to Freddie Mac. And I'm not so sure that Freddie Mac didn't follow this course either. So if you've got an on-chassis modular, look out. You're dealing with a special animal there. Don't blow your advertising budget on that house, all right? Okay, and here's what I mean by a permanent chassis. This is a, the typical traditional metal chassis that they put manufactured homes on and some companies build modular homes on that chassis. You see these outriggers, these triangular, my laser's not very bright in here. The, you see these triangular shaped outriggers though? 
right here. Two main beams, outriggers. There's your axles in a pile right there. And if you look at this, I'm going to flip back and forth here. Notice the outriggers and the two metal beams. Back here, outriggers, two metal beams. And what we do is typically two by six flooring members are laid across there. They cantilever them out a ways. That's your typical construction for a manufactured home and for on-chassis modulars. I'll probably make this point again later, but I'll make it now so I don't forget. There are companies, I don't know of any nearby, but I do know of some out west, and it wouldn't surprise me if they, somebody's doing it here too. There are companies that will have the same production line for their manufactured homes and some of their modular homes. Now, the code differences are generally minor. In other words, the HUD code might say you can use a two-inch vent stack. You know what a vent stack is? They stick out of the roof, they vent the plumbing system. HUD code will say two inches big enough. Some of the, some of the IRC type codes or whatever will say, now nah, you've got to have a three inch. Okay, fine. So if manufacturers think, and I'm going to be building HUD code homes and modular homes on the same production line, the cost between two inch pipe and three inch pipe is pennies. I'll just do everything at three inch, be done with it. It'll meet HUD code, it'll meet the other code as well. So they send these houses down the line. At the end of the production line, they are identical. Physically, they might have drywall, they might have wallboard, they might have eight-foot sidewalls, they might have seven-foot sidewalls. But they're physically identical at the end of the production line, except one gets a sticker on it that says HUD code, and the other one gets some kind of a data plate inside that said it was built as a modular and meets the IRC. All right? There's nothing in IRC that says you can't have a metal chassis. Right? So, so much for relying on physical characteristics to distinguish between manufactured and modular homes. Everybody on board with that so far? Can't tell by looking. And again, I'm just taking you through the different types. Here's panelized homes. Panelized homes really aren't factory built. But since some people think of them as being in that category, I include the slides. Panelized home simply is prefabricated panels in a factory. They prefabricate these things, they ship them out to site on a tray, they lift them in place with a small crane, and in some cases they're nothing more than studs and sheathing. Sometimes they'll include windows, doors, insulation, wiring, the whole nine yards. How many of you are familiar, have, have, have you either appraised or listed a Wausau home? Does that mean anything to anybody? Wausau homes? Especially the more modern ones. They used to have a totally different style of the old Wausau homes had relatively low-pitched roof. They, had, they were built differently than they do them. Now, I'm going to show you some uh, pictures here, some slides here that came from Wausau, actually, okay? Upon finish, most panelized homes are indistinguishable from site-built homes. And notice I say site-built and not stick-built because all homes are stick-built, whether they're built, some are built in a factory and some are built outside, okay? So... Um, most panelized homes, you're not going to tell them from a, from a site-built home. You just won't. Okay, here's panelized construction. The floor sections, these are, you're looking at the f pieces of the floor, the subfloor here, shipped out on a truck. There's, I was a Wausau builder for a while. I did about a dozen of them, okay? So you'd have your basement ready, and they said, okay, trucks are going to be there Tuesday morning, 7 o'clock. Okay, fine. And they, in 
they will subcon they subcontracted out the set crew. So they hired the set crew. I paid a flat price for the house and the erection of it and all that. Okay. So the trucks come out, four of them, sometimes five, depending on the size of the house. And we start setting the house. All right. There's a small crane that much smaller than you would use to set like a big half of a modular. Okay, which is a lot heavier because we're just dealing with small panels here. So we're sort of setting the basement is all ready. The sill plate is on. We're ready to go. The floor panels are being set. Here's a, a special tool right here that they use to, if they need to make minor adjustments once it's set down, they need to scoot it over a quarter of an inch or whatever, or line it up, tighten it up. They have that special tool that they use. Okay. Um, and, and that's a grease gun there that they apply a little lubricant to the plate in case they have to slide it around a while. Okay, fine. It, it works so. So anyway, we start setting the floor panel. Panel when the floor panels are set, the next truck drives up and it's got the walls on it. And in this case, you can see the windows are in there. And this is what they call open wall construction. There's no insulation or wiring in it, but it's just a quick way of getting the house weather tight in a day. Well, two days sometimes. If it's a bigger house like this, uh, yeah. The, the, by the end of the first day, it looks like this. And then you hope it doesn't rain, and then the second day it looks like this. So, and at, after this, well, a, a, after this point, it's all conventional construction. Put plywood on the roof, shingle it, side it, wire it, plumb it, heat it, insulate it, you know, all that stuff. Just done, just so that's all it panelized amounts to. It's just a quick way of getting the shell up. Or you can go this route with the closed wall construction where you see the insulation is in, the wiring is in, and they even finish the bathrooms at the factory. Drywall, paint, everything. The it's a bath in a box. The crane picks it up, drops it in there, bingo. It's good. So now when you're done with this house, you have to get an electrician to just hook up the ends of the wires from one wall panel to another and drywall and go. So this, this one is even more completed in a factory. But it just, it just involves more stages, more more Pre-assembly, remember my story earlier today about wind pre-hung pre doors and all that? It's just an extension of that. That's all panelized construction is. Now there's another type of panel called a SIPS panel, where they take two pieces of uh, either plywood or OSB oriented strand board and sandwich them around a foam core and put the panels up, put the roof panels on, and then they take a sawzall to it and cut the holes for the windows and the doors and go from there. Pre-cut, prefab, and kit homes. Pre-cut, prefab, kit homes, whatever you want to call them, have been around a long, long time. Um, Sears Roebuck, Montgomery Wards, you, I, I'm, I'm not going to ask you if you remember it. There may be a couple of them that do, but you've heard of it, right? Or you probably appraised or listed, sold a uh, kit home, right? Oh, this was a Sears kit home. And some of them were pretty, all, all it amounted to was <laughs> the early ones were like, okay, we're going to compile a, you can still buy a kit home, by the way. You can go down to Carter Lumber. Is 84 Lumber still in business? Carter's out of business, aren't they? They went bankrupt. Yeah, but 84 still around, aren't they? Other way around? Okay, 84's gone. Carter closed some of their stores, but whatever. Yeah, and you might even be able to do this at the big box. I don't know. 
But you, you say, okay, I, want, I know Menards does it. Menards does this, yeah. You can buy a kit home from Menards. You look through the catalog and you say, I want that, and they got a price on it. Well, all it is is a pick list. That's what you're buying. <laughs> you're just buying the same thing you would if you had to put it together yourself. It's just fine. They say, okay, we got the list put together, and here's everything you need to build this house, okay? And it's not like there's one box, monstrous, huge container sitting out in the backyard at Menards where they got all this stuff that they, you know, no. It's just, they're just going to pull it like you would if you, there's nothing to it. It's just a, and it's not even pre-cut. I'd call it a kit home because you're going to do it yourself. Now, there was also a variant of that. I don't know if it's still available, but there were a couple companies doing pre-cut and prefab, which prefab just is a little more done for you. The pre-cut just means, okay, we're going to cut all the boards for you. <laughs> That's all it amounts to. We're going to figure out which boards have to be where. We're going to label them. We're going to cut them for you, and it makes it go together quicker for you. That's all that amounts to. It's basically a site-built home. There's nothing... There, there's no reason to worry about whether your home was a kit home, a prefab, a pre-cut, or even a panelized home, because the market's going to treat it the same. And it's not like if you fail to distinguish that it was kit, prefab, pre-cut, panelized. It's not that if you fail to distinguish that, that you get this big liability problem. It's nothing like failing to distinguish modular manufactured mobile. All right, that's a big, you screw up on that, you got problems, okay? This, I'm just putting it in here so people understand it's not something to get excited about and what those terms mean, okay? And those terms, the pre-cut, prefab, panelized, kit, all that, they are not synonymous with factory built. Okay, a couple of other definitions here. Single section home, factory built house delivered to the site in one section, almost always HUD code homes. Uh, there are, as I said earlier, there are a few companies, but it's really rare. Multi-section home could be either HUD code or modular. It just means it's in more than one piece. Factory-built home delivered to the site in more than one section can be either manufactured or modular. The term itself usually used in reference to manufactured homes since nearly all modular homes consist of more than one section to begin with. Importance of proper terminology for the appraisers in here, professional standards, USPAP compliance, avoid misleading clients and any other intended users. Proper terminology is essential to clear communication. Improper terminology demonstrates incompetence. Responsibilities to clients. Lenders need to know if a home is mobile, manufactured, or modular. Lenders have different loan programs for mobile, manufactured, or modular. Many will not issue a mortgage loan if the collateral involves a mobile home. Now this applies to appraisers, but you can also translate that pretty easily into it, whether it applies to realtors or not, okay? I mean, if the lenders need to know that, you need to know that. You can't, you can't be listing something as one thing to find out later it's something else. That creates a lot of problems for you. Liability issues. Suppose the appraiser identifies a mobile home as a modular, lender who would another otherwise loan on the mobile home, issues a mortgage loan on the property, loan goes into default, guess what? It's crying time, right? Buyer may sue, claiming never would have bought it if I'd known it was a mobile home. That's happened before, okay? The other one, uh, let's see, how did that work? Well, here, this, this fits more in line with this. Suppose now, that, that first example, this back, let me back up here. This example had to do with identifying a mobile as a manufacturer. Now let's suppose you identify manufactured as modular. There's tremendous pressure 
on appraisers when this occurs. You experienced this firsthand a while back, right? That's why you're here today, in fact. Yeah. Um, you care to tell us a little bit about that? Well, what happened to you regarding that? It was a, it was a manufactured home we finally figured out, right? We still don't know. Yeah, okay, fine. It had no tags, no nothing, one of these deals, and you were under a tremendous amount of pressure to identify it as a modular home. Because yes. everybody wanted it to be a modular home. Because the realtor wanted to make the deal, the lender wanted to make the loan, commissioned loan officer, right? Yep. Everybody wants it to be a modular home, but it wasn't, was it? We, we couldn't say for absolute certainty, but we could say for darn certain that it didn't look like one. Say that again now? The foundation. 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 Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember this now. The foundation predated June 15, 1976. Yes. And by there about a month. Yes, by about a month. So, the, so it was still not, well, maybe the foundation was in, but it just sure looked, walked, and talked like a mobile home, actually, didn't it? But everybody wanted it to be a modular home, yes. right? Because that would have made just life easier for everybody, except you, if it ever went bad, if you ever got turned into the state board over it, or if you ever got sued in court, right? Yes. But, but that's not their problem, is it? No. That's your problem. Okay. So this happens more than you think, okay? And I would advise the appraisers in here and the realtors in here, you both got liability on a deal like this. No matter how bad you'd like it to be, something it isn't if it isn't it isn't okay you're much better off knowing that early early in the game so you can adjust your your strategy accordingly i said a minute ago don't blow the advertising budget on it right okay you get a listing on an old mobile home i got news for you just in case you don't know it there's nothing anybody has been able to figure out to do so far that can change there's no magic wand you can wave over a mobile home and make it manufactured. There's nothing you can do and wave a magic wand over a manufactured home and make it modular. You can pout. You can cry. You can whine about it. You can do whatever you want to do about it, but the, at the end of the day, that thing still is what it is. So you're way better off recognizing right up front, hey, this is what it is. I'm going to deal with it accordingly. I'm going to deal with it accordingly. I'm not going to take the listing. There's too much. There's no money in it. Or... I'll take it under these conditions. But just know what you're dealing with. Know what you're getting into. All right, so here's the deal on manufactured versus modular. Somebody identifies a manufactured as a modular. What happens? It gets sold to Fannie or Freddie. It goes into foreclosure. And then the, what do they do? They have a perfect excuse to force a repurchase from the lender. And what happens to the appraiser in such a situation? Okay? They get sued. And as part of the lawsuit strategy, it always makes the lawsuit go easier if we can discredit the appraiser first by turning it into the state board and getting sanctions against the appraiser, okay? So again, just, and let me, let me just bring up the, this case that, um, that Lonnie had up in Cadillac, was it? It w puts a real good point on that, in that, um, uh, Sometimes you don't know. Sometimes you just can't tell. Is this actually a manufactured home somebody took the tags off of? 
Or is it a mobile home that never had tags in the first place? Okay. Well, you can give your client a couple of options. They really want it to be a manufactured home at least because Fannie Mae isn't buying mobile homes. So they want it to be a manufactured home. Would you please report it on a 1004C? Now for the realtors in here, that's just a form that's used specifically for manufactured homes for the reporting of the appraisal. Well, okay, I can put it on a 1004C since there is some ambiguity, but I'm gonna have to put an extraordinary assumption in there that says that I'm assuming it's a manufactured home even though I couldn't find any tags or any evidence of it. But I could do that under an extraordinary assumption. What does the lender say? Sorry to pick on lenders here, Paul, but gotta be done. The I won't use a commission loan officer, okay? The commission loan officer says, yeah, but if you do that, Fannie Mae won't buy it. Well, that may be. Well, that is true, okay? But what? But wouldn't it be, can't you just not put that extraordinary assumption in there? Can't you just take on all that liability so I can make my commission on this deal? That's what's going on. Just so you know, you can do it if you want to. You know, just understand what's, what the consequences might be. All right? So, okay, here's modular, that's modulars manufactured. Uh, yeah, we had one of these, yeah. Actually, this one I, I remember now, there, there was an appraiser in Traverse City. This is exactly what happened. They identified a modular as a manufactured, or vice versa. I got that backwards up there, don't I? Yeah, I should change that. Okay, liability is modular. Identifies a manufactured home as a modular home. No, this is backwards. In any event, forget the slide for a second. Here's what happened up in Traverse City. Appraiser identified a manufactured home as a modular home, got sued, or they were threatening a lawsuit actually. No, this is the one. They identified a modular home as a manufactured home and they were charged, the borrowers were charged a higher interest rate. Borrowers were charged a higher interest rate and um, when they found out about it on a refi, they went after the appraiser to reimburse for the misidentification. The appraiser told me personally, he said, I never, he said, I never wrote a check for $8,000 so quick just to get out of the deal. That was it. So, all right. So this is all under the heading of make sure you know what you're doing out there when you're listing these things, when you're appraising their things. There, there, are, there are serious consequences that can arise from misidentification of the various types of factory-built housing, okay? Here's this little umbrella thing, all right? The broad umbrella is automated housing. Under that umbrella falls factory built, and for a long time they were trying to push the term off-site built. See, the people in the, in the manufactured housing business, they seem to think that there's a magic wand, that if they just change the name, if we just change the name, that'll change the whole image. Let's not call them manufactured homes anymore. Uh, let's call all this stuff off-site built. And then there for a while it was systems built. That was a popular term. That wasn't that, never, actually it wasn't popular. They wanted it to be popular, the manufacturers. So every so often the manufacturers come out with these new phrases and terms, but same thing, all right? So if you look under, well, let's get this stuff out of the way at the upper right, because it's easiest to just kick aside then. Under the heading, the broad heading of automated or industrialized housing, you've got kit homes, prefab, 
and panelized homes. Okay, fine. We're not even too worried about that today. Those, those are basically site-built homes. We don't care. But over here on the left, you got factory or off-site built homes, factory-built housing, the big three, mobile manufactured modular, all right? Mobile, they predate the HUD code. Manufactured are built to the HUD code. Modular are built to a local or state code, same code that the site-built would, home would be built to if it were located within that particular jurisdiction. Under the heading of modular, then, is it on a metal chassis, is it on a permanent chassis or not? If it's on a permanent chassis, it's on frame or on chassis, really. That's a better term, is on chassis. Built on a permanent chassis, and then you have the off chassis, which are pretty much what I would call a conventional modular home, right? Obsolete, non-meaningful definitions and terminology. In other words, stay away from single wide, double wide, sectional. What's a sectional? I have this big sofa down in my family room that locks together, right? It's, I think that's a sectional. It's built in sections, right? Well, see, it doesn't tell you anything. Okay, it's built in sections. So what? Well, is it, you know, what, what loan program is it going to fall under? That's really, really a lot of what this boils down to. Trailer. That's the worst one. Coach. Trailer park. Trailer camp. Here, here's a trailer, okay? Just so you know what a trailer looks like, all right? Okay, questions, comments, anything on definition and terminology? I've seen one that was a modular that had the metal frame at the front of it. It was a multi-section that had the metal frame at the front of it where it was probably coated, if I had to guess, but it didn't have steel, like the normal, typical steel manufacturer's frame underneath. It was wood or joist, but it had a steel, steel... Uh, Are you sure what you didn't see, I think I've got a slide on this. I'm, my guess is what you really saw was a carrier. Okay. It's a long, it looks almost like a chassis, but it's heavier, and they put the modular on it, then they take it to the site, tow it to the site with a truck, then the modular comes off. No, the modular comes off, and then the carrier goes back to the factory, so they reuse it. I think I'm almost sure I've got a slide on that. Let me, so let's, let's, let's put that on the shelf for the moment, okay? All right, building codes. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but, you know, you used to have all these codes. Now you've got the International Residential Code. The idea is you've got the codes that apply to site-built homes, and those are the same codes that modular homes are built to. Then you've got the HUD code. HUD code is a different animal. It's preemptive. That means that a jurisdiction, a municipality, a local building inspector, whatever, can't say, wait a minute, this house wasn't built to the IRC, so you can't put it in my township or city or village or whatever. The HUD code preempts that. Jurisdictions cannot discriminate strictly on the basis of wasn't built to this code because the HUD code preempts the local code. There's some objectives behind it. There's compliance. There's recourse. I don't have time on the shortened version to go into all that. It's performance-based. It's not prescriptive. What that means is the IRC says if you're building a house and you're spanning 14 feet, you can use a 2 by 10. But if you're spanning 16 feet, now you've got to go to a 2 by 12 or you've got to put your 2 by 10s 12 inches on center instead of, 16 in, instead of 16 inches on center. It prescribes 
what has to be done, all right? Where the HUD code is performance-based. It just says, we don't care what you use for the floor mechanism, it just can't deflect more than so much over so much of a span. It's, all, it's an engineered type of a code, okay? You can build your trusses out of toothpicks if you want to, as long as you put enough of them in there and glue them, hard, glue them together well enough that they'll resist a snow load if so much, okay? Whereas the, whereas the IRC would prescribe a certain size framing member. Yeah, the feds say that the locals can't. Can you imagine that? The federal government telling the local government what to do. Anyway, the feds say that the locals can't discriminate against it simply because it wasn't built to that code, because if it was built to the HUD code, it can be substituted. Is it a discrimination type of a, a law? Well, it's, I don't, I'm not sure what they call It's just part of the code. I mean, the locals can still say we have zoning issues involved, yeah. all right? But... From a building code perspective, from a building code perspective, that's what, that's, yeah. All right, and a label is required. Permanent chassis is required. Okay, so let's go through the production process here. There are some economies of scale that go along with factory building that don't exist on site-built homes. Um, if I'm factory building a home, I can come up with, 10 different house plans, and if I'm building the same plan over and over and over again, I, it just makes things easy, right? Where if I'm a site builder doing custom homes and the homeowner comes to me and says, I want to this, build this house, build that house, but I'm, I may never build the same house twice. So there's certain economy of scale there. Materials, scheduling, you just think of production line, all right? Just think of production line. Labor, if I'm, if, if I'm um, a, a a site builder, I have to make sure that the, my crew knows how to do a lot of different things in terms of putting a house together. If I'm a factory builder, again, think automobile production lines, all this person has to know is how to do this one single thing. And then the next car appears and then they do the same thing over and over. There's not, the, you, the training and labor issues uh, can be spread out a little bit more under this general heading of economies of scale. I can use specialized equipment in the factory that's impractical on site. It's, you know, maybe it's some kind of huge uh, CAD driven uh, saw that cuts all the framing members automatically. Uh, I can do that in a fact, it's too big and just impractical to use something like that on site. Inside the factory, I can use forklifts to tote big bundles of two by fours around and on site I have to have them carried around five or six at a time on somebody's back. Insurance is cheaper in a factory environment. So there are certain production issues and, and weather insecurity of course is a big one. Okay, let's take you on a quick factory tour. First of all, I'm gonna take you on a tour of a HUD code house. This could also apply to certain types of lower quality on chassis modular home zone, same thing. So anyway, what we've got here is, uh, there's your two by six floor joists, all been, they've been knocked together, put together on that big table, uh, which has stops and chocks on it that you lace, makes it real quick to lay the whole thing out, knock it together. Then if you look on the left side of that slide, you're gonna see the carrier. It's got black plastic draped over it, the belly bag as they call it, all right? Anyway, what they're doing right now is they're lifting that up off the table, those two by sixes are going to move them over to the left and drop them down on top the chassis. See the, see the, to the left side, you see the three axles and tires, okay? 
So now this fellow's putting in the heat runs. Um, then we move over to the next station, if you will, and we put the subfloor on. Subfloor is going on. There's somebody up there with a sander knocking the glaze off the OSB so that the adhesive takes better when you do the vinyl flooring. You see, we're going to put the vinyl flooring down before we build the walls. Well, sure, think about it. Put the vinyl flooring down. Nobody has to go in there and measure and cut and all that kind of stuff, right? You just put the vinyl flooring down, boom, build the walls on top of it. Now, this is just a platform. We're going to pull the, the chassis. Now, understand, we have the chassis now with the subfloor on it. We're going to pull that up next to this platform. You can see the scratch marks on the side of the block where they got a little too close on occasion. Fine. And this just is a staging area. It has all, and it has all the stuff that's going to go in the house because we're putting this stuff in before we build the walls. Notice that the vanity has the sink installed already, the plumbing leads, shut-off valves, everything. That's all done before the vanity's even moved against the wall because it's just quicker and easier to do it that way. So now we're starting to put some of the walls up. You see the toilet, the vanity, and the heart-shaped two-person tub are already in, right? Yeah, but the walls aren't all in yet. But that's okay. We're going to put the walls up later. As we go, kitchen cabinets, some of them go in, furnaces in there, water heaters in there. It's all just easier to do that stuff before you put the walls up. You don't have to march through that stuff through the doorways and all that kind of stuff. Just easier to work on it. And then we put the walls up later. And as we're putting the walls up, we'll wire them too. Then on another table, we lay down the drywall. We set the half trusses on top. And can you see along the edges of the bottom cord of the truss that looks like that stuff you spray out of a can? That It actually is a variant of that, that, that expanding foam insulation stuff. You ever use that in your house? Okay, well, that's kind of what that's like. Because we're not going to glue that. We're not going to screw or nail the drywall on. We're just going to set the trusses on top of it. Then we're going to spray this quick drying adhesive material along the side of the truss on the top of the drywall and when the whole thing gets done there it is better picture of it right there when the whole thing is uh, when the glue has solidified we're just going to pick the whole thing up and drop it on top of this plat remember we got the platform built now with the walls up so now we're just going to pick the roof up and set it down on top oh we're going to set it on a spray booth first excuse me we're going to set it on a spray booth first where we can spray all that textured finish stuff on there, cover up the drywall seams. We'll give it a one coat of tape first, but there's a much quicker way of doing it. And try, remember, we've got our appliances, our cabinets, our plumbing fixtures are all in the house. We don't want to be finishing drywall over that, right? It'd make a mess out of that stuff. You'd have to mask it all off. So we'll just finish the ceiling in a booth, and then we'll pick it up again and set it on top of the house. And now we'll finish off the outside and there you go. For the appraisers in here, this is probably the only time you've actually seen matched pairs in your life, okay? But here they are. For the realtors, it's like a little inside joke. It's not worth explaining and not all that funny either. Anyway, now let's go on a tour of a modular facility, okay? Because we're going to do this different. We're not going to build the house from the 
in, this is more traditional. We're not going to be able to build a wall, put the plumbing fixtures and all that stuff in first. Okay, we're going to take a more traditional approach. So we're going to start out with the 2 by 10 floor joists, all right? And we prefab some of the walls. And we set, start setting the walls on. The drywall is already attached. Insulate the walls, wire, plumb. Back up here. Okay, yeah, this is the, what we're fabricating. We're taking a similar approach on the ceiling here, though, getting the drywall hung anyway first. Uh, and the joist, and then we lift this whole thing up. And you see how this joist is hinged right here? I don't imagine anybody in here happens to have a laser pointer, okay? I'll see if I can borrow one from the board. I'm, I can't. Can you see that laser yeah. right there? You see that hinge? The idea is this is a one and a half, I don't know if this is a one and a half story or not, but the idea is do you know why so many low end manufactured homes have seven foot sidewalls and a low pitch roof? Anybody? Bridges. Say that again? Bridges. Yeah, bridges. Yeah, it's a transportation issue. But if I want a nicer looking house and I want eight foot sidewalls, I've got to figure out how to get that thing under the bridges. So this is one common way of doing it. You hinge the roof. And when that, when that house is set, then while the, after the crane drops it off onto the foundation, we'll have the crane pick up that section of roof. And the bravest person on the crew gets to go in there and sturdy up that with some cut board so that the crane can release it, all right? Bravest or lowest seniority member, one or the other. Uh, now we now we got we so we got a half a house here. You see those uh, down here at the bottom. You see the rails and the casters. That's how they move that thing down the from one station to another on the production line. And you would think there's probably some sophisticated way of doing that, but there isn't. When it's when they're ready to swap stations, then all the workers <coughs> quit what they're doing and push. <laughs> but it works. It gets the job done. So you can see at this stage the drywall's up. All right. Uh, well, while, the, while we're working on the inside, while the drywallers and painters and stuff are working on the inside, you can see the drywall tape hanging out of the bottom there and all that. People are working on the outside as well. And again, we've got a catwalk set up here, none of this ladder stuff. You know, people fall. That's why insurance rates are lower in the factory. All right. So we've got this catwalk set up and we're doing the outside. We're putting the sheathing on the roof, we're putting the shingles on while the drywallers are working. All this is going together. We've got the drip edge and the trim going on there. Here's another view of that hinged roof, if you look up there at the upper right, okay? Another view of the hinged roof. And the insulation's going in, sheathing, house wrap, siding, finishing up the inside. We're painted now, we're drywalled, we're painted, we're starting to hang the doors, trim it out, kitchen cabinets, and we're done. Now instead of moving from left to from right to left, that's the way this production line was set up in this particular factory. From right to left, now we're done with it. It's all buttoned up, ready to go. Now we can hook a, li a little truck, a little uh, lift truck, tow truck up to it, and pull it out the other way and park it outside. Now let's see if I've got the carriers. No, I don't have the carriers in here. You mentioned a question about that before. This is what I think maybe you were seeing. This is setting on something that looks like, here's the metal tongue, but see there's metal all the way down there. They just set that house on top of it, and then when they get it out to the site, the crane picks it up, sets it down on the foundation, and then those carriers go back to the factory to be reused. So that might have been what you saw, I can't say for sure. Did I see a hand go up? No? Okay. Okay, structural issues. 
structural quality. I'm going to give you a break in about 10 minutes, just in case you're wondering. Okay, in case you're too, too, too late. Oh, man, i got to get up. No, maybe I can wait another 10 minutes. Okay, just hang in there another 10 minutes. You can go. Um, structure quality issues not driven by HUD code versus state code. In other words, one can be as strong as the other. Uh, what really drives them is they're driven by the manufacturer's perception of what the target market for that product might be. Um, some manufactured homes are superior to some modular homes. I've got some pictures later in the, in, in the, in the day here uh, that I think you'll find interesting and it'll make that point. Some modular is superior to manufactured. You can, here's my point. You can't make the assumption that because it's modular, it's better than a manufactured. Because there are, for, that was generally true for many years, especially in Michigan. You could have gone on that premise and probably not been wrong very often, that modular homes are better than manufactured homes. Um, but that wasn't the case in other parts of the country, and I certainly wouldn't want to want to do that as, as, as just say automatically, because it doesn't always work that way. So don't make assumptions based on the code. Um, the primary structural issues if a dwelling has a permanent chassis. Now back to my chassis picture. We're going to walk through this chassis stuff one more time with a little more detail on different types of chassis. Okay, here's the traditional chassis, all right? Metal chassis, two by six is set across it, perpendicular to the axis of the long metal beams. Remember those long metal beams because we're going to get into them later this morning when we talk about foundation issues, all right? But that's what bears the weight of the house is those two long metal beams. Now this is what a modular, a traditional modular with wood floor joists would look like, the side view, okay? You're going to see, whoops, wait a minute. Wrong, wrong, wrong slide. This is the cross-section of a manufactured home or an on-chassis modular. This is a cross-section of a home that's built on a metal chassis, in other words, the traditional metal chassis. This is the most common over here. Where, yeah, you've got the sidewalls coming up out of the ground, but guess what? Those are cosmetic. Structurally, they don't do anything. Here's your long metal I-beams under the chassis, right? Outriggers, triangular outriggers, long I-beams. This is where, that's your foundation. What's a foundation? Foundation is a device that transfers the weight of a dwelling to the soil. That's your foundation. This, on a HUD code house or on a permanent chassis house, this out here, that you see from the outside, that's not your foundation. It's there for looks, it's there for code compliance in many cases, but it's not part of the foundation. This is your foundation. Once in a while you'll see a HUD code house or a chassis home over a full basement. You don't see it very often because quite frankly it's defeating the purpose. The purpose of building a house on a chassis is it's cheap to site. So if you're putting it under a basement, it's like why don't you just buy a a home with a modular type foundation, two by tens, because they're, a two by ten foundation is designed to transfer the load from the middle to the outside. But if we do that with a chassis, outriggers, beams, what we have to do is put beam pockets in the concrete wall, six inch H beam, run beams perpendicular to the chassis, to the length of the chassis, so that the chassis beams which support the weight of the house, are sitting on these other beams, which means now your basement headroom clearance is about here. It's just a dumb thing to do, but it happens. 
Now here's what you would expect to see under a traditional modular home, an off-chassis modular, all right? Here's your foundation now. You see at the far left that little pier sticking up? Something to support it in the middle. If this crawl space or if it's basement, same deal. Something to support it in the middle, outside wall. And your 2x10 floor joists then transfer the weight to that center wall and the outside wall. And that becomes your foundation. So there's two different approaches here. And sometimes it's really hard to tell, do I have a modular home here? Or was this built on site? Yeah, it's not easy sometimes. Look at this. Go in the basement and see what you got here. If you've got joist, if you're, if you're center, there'll usually be four 2x10s here, joined together, and they'll be in the same plane as the floor joists. Site-built construction, the easiest way to do it is to drop a beam down here and just lap the 2x10s over it. They don't have to cut them that way. So look down that center wall, and that'll tell you usually whether it's factory-built or site-built. Here is a non-traditional chassis intended for use over a basement or, or crawl space. You might find this on a HUD code home. You might find it on a modular home. You still sort of have these, this, these are two different halves, okay? You still sort of have these two beams here, but you don't have the triangular outriggers. You've got these metal flat and they aren't outriggers, well, they're outriggers, but they're structural outriggers, all right? Because we're going to set that thing over a perimeter support foundation. Let me explain what I mean by that. Build a site-built home, what do we do? We pour a basement. Envision this room as your basement, okay? Basement walls, nice big rectangle here. And then down the center, we'll have some sort of a beam, maybe posts, maybe a stud wall, whatever, something to support the center. So when that... 2 by 10 or I-joist goes from there to here, it's got something to be supported, right? But the main load of the house, the main weight of the house is supported on the perimeter, the outside of the house. Because uh, what we're going to do is we're going to have walls around the outside, and then where our trusses, our roof trusses, are going to span from there to there, and all that weight of the roof is going to be transferred to the walls on the first floor, assume a, a one-story house, and that gets transferred to the basement walls, doesn't it? So the majority of your weight is on the perimeter. Perimeter support walls are also called stem walls sometimes. As the stem of a tulip grows out of the ground, so the wall grows out of the ground. So if you hear stem wall, perimeter support, I'll be using perimeter support today. Now here's a metal chassis that can be used under either a manufactured home or a modular home, which would make it an on-chassis modular, which Fannie Mae wouldn't purchase paper on. But you see, they're, they're flat out here, right? So you can just put that whole thing on a basement or crawl space on a perimeter support foundation and get away with having to put those two long beams underneath it like you would on a traditional chassis. The advantage of building, there's a company in Napanee, um, Fairmont Industries, ships a fair number of modulars around the country that are built on this type of chassis. And the reason they do it 
is because if you're shipping, and this happened, I was actually I was teaching this uh, the longer version of this thing in Casper, Wyoming one day, and I had some time to kill before, and I went to a manufactured housing dealership, and they had traditional modular homes there that were built in Napanee, Indiana, shipped out on that carrier, on that carrier, not a chassis. Remember that carrier we talked about earlier? Ship them out there in the carrier, and then guess what happens? The carrier has to be shipped back at $2.50 a mile, back to Napanee to be reused. Now they'll stack them, they'll get four of them, they'll get, they'll get two of them going, and they'll flip them one on top of the other, so one, one trip you can get both halves on, but still, it's expensive. So the reasoning is, well, why don't we just build them on a type of a chassis that can be set over a full basement, so we'll build our modulars on this type of a chassis, they can be hauled out there to Casper, Wyoming, and they don't have to be shipped back. They can wait till they got a semi full of axles and wheels to ship back if they want to, but it saves several thousand dollars in the cost. Structurally, it's just fine. But it made it, if it was a modular home, it made it a non-chassis modular. If it was HUD code, we don't care. But if they did that with a modular home, now we've got a non-chassis modular, which is not saleable in the secondary market to Fannie Mae. If you run into a non-chassis modular, if you are a realtor, you want to go to your lenders and find out, and by the, end of, by, by the end of tomorrow, Paul will know what Chemicals Bank's policy is on it. So you can call Paul, and you say, what's your policy on on-chassis modulars? We'll keep it in-house, going to be a little higher interest rate. We'll sell it to Freddie Mac. They'll still buy them. I'm not sure that that's true, by the way. I'm not sure that that's true. I think Freddie Mac might have shifted their philosophy on that, too. But anyway, you find out what your, if you're a realtor, you want to find out what your lender's policy is on it. Excuse me. Let me back up. If you're a realtor, you want to find out, you want to find a lender where you can get a loan on it, right? If you're an appraiser and you're out in the field and you say, ugh, on chassis modular, what do you do? Stop. Stop and call the lender. Thank you. I wish I had a gold star. You would get it right now. Stop and call the lender. Hey, what do you want to do? You want me to just stop now and charge your trip fee? You want me to go ahead and finish it up? What do you want to do? Of course, in most cases, you'll be dealing with an AMC, and they won't know what. You won't be able to get a hold of anybody, at least in the United States, to talk to. So, I'd say you finish up your field work, go back to the office, then you make the call. And don't go any further until you find out what that lender's, because they, they might say, here's the problem if you finish that up, charge them full fee, they're going to say, why didn't you let me know? We don't do on-chassis modules, you can't sell them to Fannie Mae, we just paid you your trip fee and that's all we're going to pay you now. But I did all the work. Well, sorry, you were stupid. We don't pay stupid people full fee. Okay, we just pay them trippies. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so that's, that's, I mean, you can handle it any way you want. It's a business decision. You can do whatever you want to. I'm just, you know, I'm just telling you what I, what, what I have heard other people tell me is the prudent thing to do, and that's, I tend to agree with that. Call the lender, find out what's going on. All right, um, now here's a really weird duck. Somebody figured out well, people don't like metal chassis. It makes them 
for modulars anyway. It makes them look cheap. Don't want to associate them with those manufactured homes. So let's put together a wood unit on which we can build a house, bolt some axles onto it, transport the house wherever we want to take it, and then when we're done, we just drop the axles and we've got a wood floor system. That's what this is. These are floor trusses. What they do is they take long pieces of LVL that are strong enough to support the weight of the house during transit. They stuff them in there next to that framing member and push them from the front to the back of the thing. And then they put a strong band of LVL around the outside. And basically, you've got a floor truss with these LVLs down the middle at the side. It's really strong, so it doesn't flex going down the road. Because remember, we already finished the drywall and painted it. Don't want to crack that drywall. But we can bolt axles onto the thing and send it out to wherever it might be. And we don't have to worry about carrier return issues. And we've got a wood floor. What's the problem with that? Is it a permanent chassis? Did it serve as the chassis to get the house from the factory to the site? It's a chassis, isn't it? It's a wood chassis, but it's a chassis. Is it permanent? Yeah, it looks pretty permanent. It's going to be there. Okay, can't, can't have the house without it. So what do you have? What type of modular home do you have? On chassis modular. Will you ever recognize that in the field? Probably not, unless you remember this particular slide from this particular seminar. But the good news is that if you blow it on this and don't call it a non-chassis modular, probably it's never going to be discovered by anybody else either. Unless they hire me as the expert witness against you, then you got a problem. Okay, another type of perimeter support manufactured housing chassis, okay, it could be used under modulars as well, is this thing called a steel superfloor. You see a conventional a conventional chassis for a, a, a manufactured home, but could also be used under modular, has these long I-beams, and then uh, these are jack stands, but in one of the other slides they, we said stacked concrete blocks, and western states they like jack stands, they work just fine, they transfer the weight to the soil, right? Okay. But here's one that'll span the whole thing, and it's just, it's done a little differently, I'll show it to you here, okay? There's what the underside of it looks like. There's no outriggers. You can see the subfloor goes right on top of this. It, yes, it has two long metal beams, but it also has these outriggers that are, it has structural outriggers, if you want to look at it that way. So again, it's a, it's a chassis that's not conventional, uh, but it gets the job done, and it can be used in a perimeter support foundation, or it can be used in the traditional manufactured home pads and piers. Here's another view of the front end of it. Here's the second story of the house that's going to be built on that. That's the one that looks like this. You saw this earlier. Yeah, that's a HUD code home on that particular type of chassis. Let's take 10 or 15 minutes. Okay, try and keep the break. I got a lot of material to do, and I want to get this thing wrapped up on time at 12.05. So don't run this out much more than 15 minutes, if you would, please. Okay.
Um, after breaks, I usually like to say, okay, any questions, comments? Sometimes people will talk during the break and, you know, it'll be like, well, did he say that or did he mean that or what was that all about? So sometimes questions will come up during the break. So let's, t anything I've talked about so far, questions, comments, anything more detail? Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's by any, anything you see that happens today is by design, of course. Couldn't I couldn't possibly forget to put something in one or the other. <laughs> is it okay? Yeah, I'll, you you'll do better today by following me and the slides than you will by worrying about where we're at in the handbook. I, I yeah, there, and there what page just. So, so we have that. Do you know what page it's on in the handbook? Or too late? You close your close your laptop now. Okay. Oh, okay. You were just backing me up on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I don't think so. There should be foundation material in there. Okay. Okay. It's in there somewhere. And I do, believe me, I do try and design that handout material at least this morning's. This afternoon's a little different animal, but this morning's session, uh, most everything I talk about should be in there. And that manual, that student handbook that you've got, I like to design student handbooks so that they actually fulfill a purpose later on so that you can keep it and use it as reference material later as opposed to just handing out copies of my PowerPoint slides. All right, so what is a foundation? A foundation is a device or a system that transfers the weight of the structure to the soil. This, we're going to get into this permanent chassis thing, that permanently affixed and all that, because that's kind of a, an interesting little topic. All right, homes on a permanent chassis transfer the weight to the soil much differently than homes on a, per, on, on a perimeter support type of foundation, all right? So this is something you need to be keyed into. The only way you're going to do it on a manufactured home is stick your head in a crawl space. FHA calls for head and shoulders anyway, or at least get your camera in there and take enough shots you can figure out what's going on, all right? If you're not willing to get down on your hands and knees and look in the crawl space, you're asking for trouble. If you're listing the property, it's kind of the same thing. And I know that you're probably not keen on, realtors dress better than appraisers, okay? And I know you're probably not keen on it, but you might want to just hire somebody to do it. Yeah, pay somebody a few bucks to to look, or look around under that thing a little bit because it's the appraiser is going to, hopefully the appraiser is going to, if the appraiser is doing his or her job, they are going to look under that. And it just doesn't pay to get surprised later on, all right? But the, home, but the owners told me for sure it was a modular. Well, maybe it was. Maybe it was a, perimeter, maybe it was a metal chassis modular, you know? I mean, and the only way you're going to find that out is to look or have somebody do it for you. Homes not on a permanent chassis, in other words, the off-chassis style, designed to be set in the basement or crawl space, often called perimeter support stem wall, basically the same as a site-built home. You saw this one earlier, so I'm not going to spend much time on it unless you've got a question. Anybody have a question on that? Peer, a peer style? Yeah. yeah, I think it's coming up again here. Uh, we'll talk, yeah. Okay, go ahead, though. I was just curious on how to recognize people on social media. Uh, we have that internal foundation. 
Well, you, you, you stick your head under it, you look for those long, if it's a metal chassis, you look for the long metal beams, and then you look under them because that's where it'll be supported. And I think this is going to answer your question pretty quickly here, okay? Um, a permanent chassis home. The entire weight of it resides on the metal chassis. The chassis has to be supported by a foundation. In other words, you've got to transfer that weight to the soil, right? Typically, piers, pedestals, or stands that transfer the load via concrete pads, strip footings, whatever. Here's the cheapest way to do it. Here's a manufactured housing community. They just poured, they took an auger, and they got down below for our straight field full of concrete, whatever. But that, it works. It works just fine, all right? Uh, sometimes they'll do these strip foundations or runners like that. Um, those line up with the two metal beams. Uh, sometimes here's a combination, they've got a pad around the outside and they've got a, a strip runners in the middle to pick up the load. Here's some tie downs embedded in the concrete. Uh, here's another view of ribbons or runners. They run perpendicular to that chassis. That way if they, this is in a park and the park operator says, well look, if somebody's gonna have a house in here that's this wide or that wide or whatever, if we put them perpendicular, as opposed to parallel, we don't have to worry about the spacing of those metal beams. And here you can see the blocks under the beams. It's not a very good, uh, good one. And here's full slabs. Once in a while you run into that, but it's more expensive, so you don't see it too often. Um, if you're not in an area where frost is an issue, if you're in Florida, Texas, California, whatever, Arizona, maybe you can just compact, you, you, you dig off the topsoil, you throw some stone in it, you pound it down real good to compact it, and you put this plastic thing on it. It works, it gets the job done, it transfers it, the weight to the soil. They use metal stands out west a lot. You see this concrete pad down here and then the jack stand on top of it? Those are kind of slick because they're easy to adjust. It's threaded up here, you know, you just tight tension them all up and transfers the weight to the soil, right? It's a, is, is this a foundation? It is. It doesn't look like what you think of as a foundation, but it transfers the weight to the soil. Is it a permanent foundation? I'll, go, I'll dwell more on that later, but I'll give you a hint. Permanent really is within the context of intent. Think about that. I'll come back to it. I'll circle back to that, okay? So here, here, this is the slide you were referring to earlier, right? Where the stack blocks and a pad, okay? It transfers the weight to the soil. You can use the jack stands. You can use a lot of different things to accomplish this. No, because it doesn't transfer any of the weight to the soil. You could take this off and life would be just fine. Look, think of all the manufactured homes and trailer parks that have vinyl skirting, right? But a lot of codes call for this. This was, a, this was an attempt by local jurisdictions to make it more difficult to put manufactured homes in our township or city or village. Well, let's make them at least pay more for it. Gotta have a concrete stem wall on the outside. Doesn't do anything. Correct. Well, otherwise it would heave and raise the house up during the winter. That wouldn't be fun. Then it would become a foundation and a poor one. <laughs> Say again? Yeah. Well, this, this may not be tied down. See, if you're doing an FHA appraisal, you got to condition it upon the engineer's report. And the engineer's the one that has to crawl down there 
and stick his or her hand up on the top and feel if they cored the block, if they poured mortar into the cores of the block and sunk a threaded rod in there so that you could anchor to the foundation. But are you a realtor and appraiser? Okay, not your problem, Mon. If you're a realtor, not your problem, Mon. All right? It's, some, it's the engineer's problem if it's FHA. What, what a whole thing about this, a site-built house. What do you do with it? Anybody in here have a life as a builder, past life as a builder? What do you do when you build a site-built house? You got your concrete wall, right? And you got a top plate usually bolted to the concrete wall, right? Two by eight treated wood top plate. You start laying out your floor joists. You take number eight nails and toenail it in, tack it in, right? And all that's do is keep the thing from flipping around until you get the lid on, until you get the subfloor on top, the OSB or the plywood, right? And then the thing gets stiffened up and the joists won't flop over. And all you got holding the bottom of the joist to the pad or to the sill plate are eight penny nails. That's it. Gravity is doing the job, isn't it? Gravity is what keeps that house sitting. The tornado comes along and boom, pulls those eight penny nails in the joist and everything goes flying away. And yeah, you still got your sill plate bolted on. Whoop de doo. It's just sitting there. Gravity's doing the job. So why can't gravity do the job on a manufactured home type chassis just as well? But FHA wants them bolted down. All right, here's a typical, here, here they use treated wood posts. Again, you see the tapered outriggers, poured concrete, not part of the foundation. Here's where the transfer takes place. Here's a bird's eye view of it. You see the two, the long, there's four metal runners there, four metal I-beams there, and it's being, where the squares are, it's being transferred. You've got pads and either piers, blocks, whatever it happens to be, jack stands, transferring that weight. Here's another view. To give you an idea here? Yeah. All right, here's available from HUD. If you want to write this down, I don't know if it's still five bucks or not, but you can get on HUD's website and get their guide. It's the only authoritative thing that I was ever able to find on foundations for manufactured homes and what constitutes permanently affixed, because Fannie Mae says it's got to be permanently affixed. Now, this is something that, does anybody have this page in the manual? Page what? Did I hear six? Five? Page five. 35. 35. Page 35 in the student handbook, if you want to make a note of this, just so you can get it. Yeah, go ahead, take your cell phones out, shoot it if you want to, okay? But it's worth getting if you're an appraiser. I don't think if I were a realtor, I'd bother. Spend the five bucks on a beer if you want, whatever. But the, the pardon me? Did I hear a question? They didn't write it down. Oh, it sure. Okay. Now, if you don't happen to have your student handbook with you today, either on your pad or, or laptop or on paper, understand you were sent one yesterday. Yeah. Um, and if you don't have it, we can make sure you get a, a, a uh, electronic copy of it and then you'll be able to print it out okay everybody have this now okay good hang on okay say when, when? okay anybody else okay pardon me okay great okay tie down an anchor system sometimes there are metal straps or chains sometimes it's attached to the chassis itself like I talked about with the cord block 
or it could be, an, this is the most common one. See the lower right hand corner of that? Ground augers. Do they work? Yeah, I tie it down, keep it from blowing away in the wind. What do you want? I mean, does the job, cheap, efficient, easy, non-invasive, non-intrusive. Can you see the metal strap in that one? Yeah, metal straps to a ground auger. What do you want it to be? At, this, at your distance, it can be anything you want. It, either would work. A cable would work, wouldn't it? Metal chain would work. Straps are the cheapest. That's why they usually see the straps. I mean, they're just those cheap banding straps like you see wrapped around a bale of lumber or whatever. There, that's a, you can see that's a strap. Okay, that's what the top of the ground auger looks like. Again, you're, you know, you're not going to get too involved in this as an appraiser or as a realtor. This is a sort of an engineering thing. You know, I don't, your clients, you may have a client that has specific assignment conditions that requires you to go look for that kind of stuff. But in most cases, it's kind of an assumption. Just like in appraising a site-built house, you make a lot of assumptions that it followed code, right? So you're going to make an assumption here that it's code. In limiting condition number five sort of protects you on that in terms of uh, unapparent conditions. All right, attachment. Because permanently attached or permanently affixed. What does this mean? Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac asks if it's attached to a permanent foundation. Neither one of them provides a definition. So it's important for you to disclose in your report what you mean by attached or affixed. In many cases, this five-point process works. I'm going to get it on a couple different screens here, okay? Understand that these sample statements won't be appropriate in all circumstances, okay? So first thing you do in your statement is you describe what you mean by attached. Because you're going to have to check a box that says it's permanently attached. So you're going to say subject dwelling is attached by means of metal straps, chains, tape, whatever it happens to be, that appear to say, and by the way, this is in the manual on page what? Anybody with? Anybody know? Because I see some people trying to copy this down, and let's make sure it's not in the manual already. I think it is. Oh, what page? Okay, but you're working on it. Thank, bless your heart. Thank you. Would you? Somebody find it? 36. It's on 36. So just, just if you got your book, you don't have to copy this down. Okay, fine. Don't want you to get writer's cramp. All right. Subject dwelling is attached by means of whatever that appear to secure the top of the mainframe members to what appears to be whatever it happens to be. All right. Next one is describe what you mean by permanent foundation. The foundation appears to consist of jack stands, treated wood, whatever, most common one in Ron, Michigan is going to be dry stack concrete blocks, right? Located at intervals directly under the main frame members. And I don't know the depth of the pads. I wasn't there when they poured them. And then reference a source. And the only one we really have is that HUD book I talked about earlier, that $5 book from HUD. This appears to substantially comply with the definition of the term permanent foundation found on page 1.5, blah, 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 all right? Now, before I use that, I would actually get that book I, and make sure it's still in existence and whatever, because I haven't, I haven't referenced that for probably a decade. Although the book did exist, so I guess you could still use it. You could say formerly published by whatever. But you're quoting a source. The, the important point here is that 
you're not just willy-nilly said, oh yeah, it's permanent foundation, and leave it up to the state board or the court to decide what that was what meant what was meant by permanent foundation. What you are doing is assuming control of it here by saying, hey, this is what I mean by attached. This is what I mean by permanent foundation. Just so you know, if you don't like it, then maybe it wasn't attached. I don't care. But this is my interpretation as the appraiser of what was attached. That's why I like that book. It lays it off on somebody else. Okay. Okay. Sample attachment for. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to waste time on this. I don't have that much time today to do all this. But you get the idea. Uh, supported by Jack stands attached by this. Uh, no visible means of attachment. Okay, so maybe now you got a different situation if you don't have the straps or whatever. And then here's another sample comment, should be in your student manual, all right? Uh, and this might work for realtors as well, right? If you want to shield yourself from a little potential liability down the road, you might put something like this. I don't know where you'd put it, where would you put it? It's kind of long for a listing. I've never seen anything like that in a listing. But you might, there might be ways to disclose it. I'm not a realtor, so I don't know. Anybody want to give me a suggestion or whatever? How, would you, how might you disclose that? Well, how about when the seller disclosure is made, right? Sellers have to fill out this form that says the basement's dry and blah, 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 right? Okay, maybe it becomes part of that. Maybe you talk to the seller. If you're the, sale, if you're the seller's agent, you say, why don't we both protect ourselves from some liability here, and let's put this in the agreement, okay? So anyway, I'm not going to read the whole thing. You get the general idea, all right? Now, what do you think? Uh, the, another Fannie Mae requirement is the wheels and axles and hitches have to be removed. Have the wheels, axles, and hitches been removed here? They've been removed from the, from the I mean, they've been, they've been dropped from there. There's the shackles down to there. So it's been removed from the chassis. So again, that may be something you might want to elaborate on. It's been removed from the chassis. It's still laying there underneath. So, you know, you might want to disclose a little bit of that. Uh, there was an appraiser that had a problem, I know, with the lender who said uh, they had to be removed off-site. Well, they were in a shed out back. Nope, got to have them off-site. Yeah, well, doesn't make much sense, but... Now here, there's one where the wheels, axles, and hitches have not been removed, just so you know what that looks like, okay? See the wheels, see the axle, hitch is still there on the back. All right, let's talk about appurtenances for a second. If you see a manufactured home, well, any kind of factory built home, but this applies more specifically to manufactured than modular. If you see a manufactured home with an addition, even an added garage, red flag time. Why? Because they're not engineered to support the weight load. Let me see if I can get some slides going and better explain that. Some manufactured homes are constructed with porches. Some are built as porch-ready or garage-ready. Some are not, okay? Here's your example. If I add a deck to a modular home or a site-built home, what do I do? I cut some of the siding away, and I slap a 2 by 10 or whatever up there, and I lag bolt it onto the band, onto the rim joist that runs around the house, okay? And now I got something that's nice and solid because that rim joist is sitting on the sill plate which is sitting on the foundation wall, correct? At a direct transfer of weight to the soil. If I do that to a HUD code house, what am I, what am I lagging into? There's nothing out there. I got those, two, well, there may be that two by six out. Yeah, there's two by six band around there, but it's really not designed to support the weight of a deck on it, because remember on the manufactured home, the foundation is not at the outside wall. It's in there a ways, isn't it? 
So if I'm putting a deck on a manufactured home, I want to have posts near the house and away from the house. If I'm putting a deck on a modular or site-built home, I just put the posts away from the house, lag the other. I can split the weight load between the house and the, and the posts going into the ground. If I'm doing it on a manufactured home, I better be, make sure that whole thing is self-supporting. So anytime you see something connected to, anytime you pierce the skin of a manufactured home, look out. A lot of building inspectors aren't trained on that. Some states have special departments that handle building permits for manufactured homes. Michigan, I don't believe, is one of them. Freddie Mac requires that a licensed professional engineer or the local or state authority has to approve any structural modifications. That's Freddie Mac, not Fannie Mae. And appraisers, just be careful when you get, just write it off. Put an extraordinary assumption in there. So it's got an appurtenance. I assume that it was done by the, approved by the building inspector. I assume there's code that it's compliant with the local codes of this ed. Or if you want to find out, you know, check with the, check with the building inspector because it's a liability issue. Now, here's what I mean. This house was designed to support the load of the weight of the port. That's that porch that comes out on the front where you've got the valley right in here. There's a, a weight load transfer to the roof. So the roof underneath it has to be designed in such a manner that it can support that. Okay. Um, here is a HUD code house that was garage ready so that when the two were put together, any weight transfer issues were already accounted for in the design. So with the garage ready house, what it means in the garage ready house, in the, on the right hand side where you see bedroom number two, where the gable goes together, let me back up, where the peak goes into that, you got a valley and stuff, there's going to be some weight on that roof. So that house was designed for it. Now this house wasn't designed for anything, but they went ahead and did it anyway. You got a single section, could be a mobile home, HUD code house, and they just started throwing things on there, designed to build a roof over it. I don't know if there was walls or strong enough to support that extra roof load, I don't know, whatever. If I'm appraising this thing or if I'm listing this thing, I'm gonna be real careful about it. Okay, here's how a modular home is set. The foundation is ready. You get a big heavy duty crane in there. You pick it up off the carrier and you set it on top, that's it. And in this case, they've got little pyramid trusses that they do, again, it's that bridge clearance issue, okay? All right, is it site built or is it factory built? Let's have a little fun here, okay? So we're gonna do this thing in two steps. I'm gonna throw up a slide, you're gonna say factory built or site built, and then if we decide it's factory built, then I'm gonna say, is it manufactured mobile or modular or something else, whatever, okay? So just, a little, it's a little fun, just humor me. Oh, I got a little lead into this. Here's some tips. Think about the size and the shape. In other words, factory built homes tend to be boxy. They tend to be, most of the cases, just rectangular. Maybe there'll be a projection on the front, whatever. How is the garage attached? Is there a marriage wall inside? Is it on a permanent chassis? Is it on a slab? If it's on a slab, it's probably not a factory built house. I can almost guarantee you that. It's, uh, it's going to be either, um, could be panelized, or more likely it's site-built. Well, we don't have many slabs around here, so don't worry about it. Evidently, the guy with the black bag at the front didn't get the message about turning cell phones off, but don't let it distract you. Here's what I mean by a marriage wall, all right? Where the two pieces, you got, you're building it in a factory and two, and you get slapped them together, and now the wall in the middle of the house is thicker than the rest of the walls. That's kind of a, kind of a ooh, hey, man, ooh, maybe this was built in a factory. Okay. What type of factory built? Now again, I'm gonna reinforce something from earlier this morning. It all comes down to the code. 
not physical characteristics. I don't care if it's got wallboard, drywall, I don't care how nice it is, how ugly it is, cheap, expensive. None of that means anything. Code, 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 code. Was it built with a HUD code? A manufactured home. Was it built to a local code? Not a manufactured home. It's likely a modular, if you can tell it was built in a factory. Or it's really old, it was built before June 15, 1976. Mobile, right? The HUD code kicked in June 15, 1976. On that day, if it went down the production line on a permanent chassis, it got a HUD label slapped on it. The day before, they could have built the same physically identical house on the same production line. One's a mobile home, one's a manufactured home. It's just the date and the code that was in effect at the time. Physically, they can be identical. All right, so does it have a HUD label? Here's what most HUD label looks like. Most of them are red. They don't have to be red. I've seen blue ones. I've seen whatever. I've seen ones with red letters on white background. But see, if you read this sucker, it says Department of Housing and Urban Development. H-U-D, right? Just think of duh backwards, and you got it, all right? It's right in there for you. Constructed in conformance with, with, with the Federal Manufactured Home Construction and Safety. Remember, that's the long name of the HUD code. Here's a blue one. Here's what a data plate might look like. Now, don't ask me why they call this metal thing a label and this piece of paper a plate. <laughs> but that's just the way it is. So here's your data plate. That's a blank one. Look for the maps of the United States. It'll talk about wind load, whatever, whatever. And a, a, a tip, both appraisers and realtors, read, read these things. Because you see, once in a while, you'll have a home built down here and shipped up here. Actually, we're okay in Michigan. I, I have to be careful when I teach this class out of state because there are certainly all these areas here. Once in a while, somebody builds a house here and it gets shipped up here and it doesn't meet code because the, the snow loads aren't. The roof load isn't adequate. Okay, so we've got the uh, HUD code. Oh, battery going dead on me? Yeah, maybe. They, 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 there can be slight differences in these things. And where do you find them? An electric service panel, back of a kitchen cabinet door, inside of a closet, near the water heater, whatever. The first place you look, though, is the, is the electrical service panel. It's there, the, if the manufacturer doesn't put the data plate on the inside of the panel, and a lot of them don't because they need that for listing all the different breaker circuits, um, they're supposed to, but they don't always but they're supposed to put something on the inside of that, inside or outside of the door that says the data plate's located in the master bathroom under the vanity, whatever, okay? So that's the first place you want to look because that may clue you in on where it is located. <coughs> After that, you're on your own. Kitchen cat, like I said, there's the list. That's where you start. It becomes a real Easter egg hunt after a while. Now here's one that's filled out this one's called, they can be called either a data plate or a compliance certificate. This one says compliance certificate at the top, makes it pretty easy. It's got all the information in there, serial numbers, all that kind of stuff. Data manufacturer, you can learn a lot from these things. And if you're appraising, you need a lot of that information to put on the 1004C form. <coughs> if you're listing it, well, it depends on your personality. 
If you're the adventurous type that thrives on surprise, that kind of stuff, then don't worry about it. If you like to have your deals not fall apart at the last minute because the appraiser can't find the data plate and there's a lot of back and forth on it and the buyer decides, uh, whatever, then don't worry about it. Or then you worry about it if you're that personality type, excuse me. Then you find out where that thing is and you see, does it say data plate or compliance certificate or does it say, this was built in 1973 and it's a really great house. What if it was built in 1973, what is it? Mobile home. Mobile home. There you go. We're making good progress today, folks. Okay. So yeah, if you're the smart realtor, you'll find it and find out what it is before it becomes a problem. And leave it there. Don't steal it. Pardon me? Well, you can steal it, but then it just creates problems <coughs> of its own. Then it's like, well, our appraiser says, I can't tell what it is and um, whatever, and the deal still falls apart. Better to know it's a mobile home and deal. I mean, there are lenders that uh, will chemical alone on uh, make portfolio loans on mobile homes if under certain circumstances at least okay fine they'll consider them anyway all right I didn't mean to put you on the spot Paul I just you know it just it, it got you here so I gotta you know have have get try and get some use out of you you're being but but that's okay you know you didn't have to listen to my lender jokes see if there's if there's at least one lender in the room I don't tell my lender jokes all right anyway the point is there are still lenders that where you can get in community banks are a good example where you can get a mobile home financed. Better to know up front than find out later and, and risk having the deal fall apart. Oh yeah, yeah. You can see here, this is a, evidently a, a multi-section, two-section. You see up there at the top where it says, this is, came out of Arizona, Arizona, da, 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 56 and 57. Once in a while you might see where they, where the numbers aren't sequential. And what that means usually, seriously, this is funny, but seriously what it means is during transit one half of this thing got wrecked and we had to rebuild it. And in that case, I would look hard at it. Well, anytime you got non-sequential numbers, there's this, also this story out of Fairmont Industries where the dispatch shack that dispatches the loads got the paperwork mixed up and they sent out the right half of one house along with the left half of another house to the same site and again the right half and the left half to another site. They, were, they weren't exactly identical but they were close enough that the crews were able to kind of horse them together. And there were, and there were lawsuits over that thing. Yeah, yeah, they, that, that was a mess. So anyway, anytime you have non-sequential numbers, good point, thanks for bringing that up. Now this is a, this looks, it says, hey, it says data plate, right? Must be a manufactured home. Whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, let's read it real carefully. I know we're not in North Carolina, but if we were, what would that right thing on the right say? It says a modular construction validation stamp. Up at the top, so it certifies that this modular structure. So you might see something called a data plate in a modular. That doesn't make it a manufactured home. And if you look over this thing real carefully, you will not see the HUD label number anywhere because it's not a HUD home. See, here's a HUD tag. Here's a, here's a data plate, compliance certificate on a HUD code home. Here's something that's also called a data plate on a modular home, but you won't find any HUD numbers on it because none were ever assigned. In North Carolina. I don't know what they're doing in Michigan right now. That stuff changes so often. 
Um, last I knew, Michigan was sort of a voluntary state. They could slap anything they wanted to on them, other than I think they had to have that it was built in compliance with the IRC. I'm pretty sure that's come through now. So if you see it's built in compliance with the International Residential Code, you know it's not. The important thing is, if you see something that doesn't have the HUD code stuff on it, you know it's not HUD code. You know, you either got a mobile, could be, like if it's an older home, or modular. Here's another modular home data plate. Again, there's no standardized format to this. There's sort of a, there's a little deviation in, in HUD code compliance that changed over the years, but they're still pretty uniform. They'll still have the HUD code number on them. Modulars, depends on the state. Here's one out of Florida. Okay, here's another one out of Missouri. Here's something that doesn't even make any sense. It was built in August of 1985. What was the deal on this one? Looks like a HUD code. It's got conflicting statements on it. I don't have time to go into it today anyway. What do you do if there's missing tags or labels? Don't take guesses. There's too much liability in that. Don't take the word of of anybody else, don't know, you know, no disrespect to the assessors, but it doesn't matter. The assessors may have different ideas about classifying these things, okay? Um, and Fannie won't allow you to make an extraordinary assumption. That's about the only thing you can do as an appraiser is when, it, when if they say you gotta complete it, you make an extraordinary assumption. It kills the deal as far as Fannie Mae is concerned, but if you can't identify it, you can't, you, you've gotta do one of two things. You've gotta, you've gotta go with a, well, you can, no, you can only do one thing. You can't go with a hypothetical on that. You gotta go with an extraordinary assumption. So again, if you're listing a property and you can't really tell what it is, then you might want to come to some resolution to that up front. Um, find out, get yourself a portfolio lender lined up because that's probably what you're going to need. Don't let, uh, SEP is somebody else's problem, okay? Th this is for the appraisers. Don't let somebody else's problem become your problem, all right? You can also refer your client to www.ibts.org. That's the International, or the Institute for Building Technology and Safety. They have a database, it's not 100% complete, but if you wanna pay somebody to crawl under the front of it or to remove some of the siding and look at the outside of the frontmost framing member, it's usually on one of those little triangular outrunner deals, but it's somewhere along the front. On the outside, there'll be the serial number stamped in the frame if it's a manufactured home. Then you can go to IBTS, say here's the serial number, and they say, okay, that's a whatever, whatever brand, and it was built this year, and da 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 and it is, in fact, a HUD code house, and some lenders will accept that. But again, that's not within the purview of most of what anybody in this room is gonna be doing. All right. Okay, let's have a little fun. Now we're gonna have some fun. I'm gonna throw up a slide, we're gonna say, is it, is it factory or site built? You can say, if, if whatever, whatever we decide it is, if it's factory built, then we'll figure out if it's manufactured, modular, maybe an older mobile, whatever. Okay, factory, I'll start you off with a real easy one. Factory or site? Factory, you can see the two halves. All right, what do you think? HUD code? Why? Red tag, right there, okay, good. I mean, we can't read the tag, but you got it right, okay? What about this one? Factory or site? Why? Somebody said factory? You're right. It just, I, well, I mean, it just, it's boxy, it's rectangular. Uh, look at, here's a tip. Look at the top of the door 
top of the windows. That'll tell you whether you got seven or eight foot sidewalls, won't it? So, and, and you're right, this, if you, I was there before and after, you can see the red tag here. It's kind of covered up by the bush right now. All right. But it's a HUD code home. What do you suppose that is? Site? Factory. Why? Because it's boxy? Well, it's got, I see three different roof lines and a cross intersecting gable down there on the uh, left hand side. It is fact. It's a HUD code house, California. They do them up different there. What about this one? Factory or site? You really can't tell. You can't say for sure, but some of you are onto this. You're thinking, well, I've appraised a bunch of those Cape Cods and they turned out to be modulars, right? Yeah. Very unlikely that that would be a HUD code home. HUD code homes almost never have upper level because you can't finish it in the factory. HUD code homes have to be 100% finished when they leave the factory, or at least the different sections of them. Okay, and it's, that one is done with a hinged roof and the upper level is finished on site. That's a modular. It's a Heckman modular. There is a HUD code home from California. I'm going to accelerate this thing or I'm going to run out of time. I'll, I'll leave you the more interesting ones. Okay, what about that one? What do you think about that? Factory or site? I do have all the different types in here, just so you can't, uh, just so you can't cheat. What do you think? It's a HUD code home in California. I told you, they do them different out there. That's another HUD code home, San Diego. I shot that. Shot that in San Diego, too. That's a HUD code home. What about this out of Arizona? What do you think? Factory or site? I think I got another view of that. There's the other side of it. Pardon me? Hard to tell. How about that? Did that tell you the story? <laughs> yeah, that's HUD code. There's a label there somewhere. I can't, there it is, right there. One there and one there. Little red tags. Is Arizona or what? Yeah, Arizona. That's the inside of it. It's a nice little house. Oh, and I don't know if I show it in this one or not. That's actually not a flat roof either. There's a pitched roof hiding behind that parapet. And those, uh, see this type of construction, it's got these, these little phony logs that are sticking out of there. You know, if that were the original Pueblo design, there's a name for those things. I can't remember what they are. They lay logs on the flat roof. They build a roof over it. Okay, those are just ornamental on this. And these things are scuppers that drain the water from the pitched roof behind it. Back up here. Any, any thoughts on that? Probably not HUD code because it's two stories, right? Although, what if we could, we could build four boxes and stack them, finish all of them in the factory, right? Anyway, that's a panelized home. I built that years ago. This is a modular in Colorado. That's a modular in Colorado. It was snowing that day. This is a, what is that? Believe it or not, I think that's a three-box HUD code home in Fremont, California. They just make three boxes out of it. That back section is stacked up on there. What about that? Factory or site? Pardon me? Well, not if you're in the Keys and you need to build them up like that to meet the code. South Carolina, you see a lot of stuff like that, too. I shot this in Florida at the... Palm Harbor plant where they build HUD code homes. Yeah, the uniformity of the windows kind of give it away in some sense, but 
Yeah, but sometimes that's done just for architectural symmetry on a certain style. What about this one? Factory or site? Yeah, factory, but you're only saying factory because this is a seminar on factory built housing, so you're hedging your bets toward that side. But if I had this in one of my other seminars, like on style, and said, what style is that? Everybody would say ranch, and I'd say, no, it's not a ranch. It's craftsman style because it's got these uh, knee, um, knee braces up there at the peak and that one, and it's got grouped columns, and those are characteristics of a craftsman or arts and crafts style. And if I did that in that seminar and said, by the way, you think that's a factory-built home? Nobody's you think it's a HUD code home? Yeah, it's a HUD code home. Sometimes, yeah, it's kind of narrow on that one. Okay, so that's a HUD code home. That is a modular. What about this one? That's site built. Gotcha, gotcha, finally, I gotcha. It's site built. Okay, it's just a boxy site built house. Okay, HUD code right there. Modular, modular. What about that one? Three box HUD code. Southern California. I was teaching this in Southern, where was that? Ontario, California. I had that slide up. Everybody says, oh, it's site belt. I said, nope, three boxes, HUD code. One guy in the back row says, uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Got by one of the appraisers there. Here's the floor plan. You see the three boxes? Two put together at the top. I'll back up and get the idea. And it's not, the one doesn't sit directly on top of the other. They offset it a little bit to break it up. But that's a HUD code house. 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 Those are all on the same factory that builds that uh, triple box unit that I just showed you a minute ago and that other stucco sidewall triple box unit that you saw twice before today with the tile roof. Where is it? It's in Corona, California. I can't remember that. It's Silver, Silvercrest. Pardon me? You don't see that stuff here, no. No. It's, uh, but in California, you do. See, California passed a law that says that you can put a HUD code house anywhere you want to, and the local municipalities can't say no, as long as it is architecturally consistent in terms of windows, roof, and exterior detail or something like that. So, yeah. So they, 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 they have a market for this out there. That's a four-box modular with an added, with a site-built porch and garage. Okay, I know this house. It was shipped out in two halves from the factory. It has two by 10 floor joists sitting over a full basement on perimeter support. What is it? Built in a factory, wood floor joists, perimeter support foundation. You would think it would be a modular. Behind that bush on the left is a little red tag. It says it was built to the HUD. There was a period where, they, where the HUD code manufacturer says, well, why, we're just going to consider 2x10 floor joists as a permanent chassis. Because when we bolt it to the metal carrier, it becomes part of the chassis. So we're going to build it under the HUD code, but we're going to put 2x10 floor joists on it and remove the chassis. Well, that lasted for a couple of years until HUD finally cracked down on it and said, no, permanent chassis is permanent chassis. So even though that's got a, and I don't know what I would do with that thing if I were appraising it. 
It's got a, I would, I would write it up very carefully. I'd say it's got a HUD tag on it, so it was built to the HUD code. However, it does not have the permanent chassis on it. And again, if I were listing that, I would want to find a lender, talk to a lender first to make sure I had a, a way to get it financed when it sold. I lived at that house for 10 years. I needed, a, I needed a house in a hurry, and my brother had a dealership in Grand Rapids that was selling them, and we, that was it. I, I just needed it. It was the best house I ever had. It's the first house I ever had that didn't have a mortgage on it. Uh, yeah, garages, yeah. But see, the garage in that type of a configuration is not sitting on the roof, so you don't have to worry about structural issues. It's just added to the side. If the gable line, of the, if the ridge line of the garage is running perpendicular to the ridge line of the house, then you've got to start thinking about structural issues. If they're running parallel to one another, you probably don't have a problem because the garage is supporting itself. It's just—it's just like a detached garage, only it sits real close to the house. Yes, it's not weight, its not hanging on the house. This is a HUD code house in California. This is in Georgia or North Carolina—I can't remember. Uh, what do you think about that? Factory built, site built. Site built, factory. What makes you think it's factory built? Well, Sears Roebuck House is not factory built. The Sears Roebuck House is a kit house, really, and it's considered site built. Okay? So you can change your answer if you want to, but actually, you got to stay with it because it is a HUD code house. That's the after, that's the during. Metal chassis, see it under there? I mean, they just put that brick. Here's your foundation right here. Okay? There's your foundation. That's just ornamental. It's just there for cosmetic purposes, make it look pretty. So the point of all this stuff is, and this is, these are HUD code townhouses in Seattle. They share a common wall in the garage area. But they're HUD code, they just stack them up. You see the, you see the red tag up there? Way up there on the second floor, okay? Yeah, just two pieces, set them on top of one another. That's, those are modular townhouses in the same development. They got both modular and HUD code. All right, questions on anything so far? We're going to go into quality issues. Factory built homes display a much broader range of quality than site built homes. A more extensive inspection is required. You got to get in the crawl space, like it or not. Structural issues include sidewall thickness, type of roof trusses, interior wall thickness. Now, here's a two by six sidewall, okay? Two by six sidewalls are fairly common on factory built homes. That gives the salesman something to point to and says, or salesperson, look at this, all this insulation, da da da. Never mind the fact that we built this thing with a, about two inches of insulation in the roof where we really need it. We got two by six sidewalls, okay? And if you look at the door jams and the, around the window, now there's two by four sidewalls. Can you, can you tell the thickness there by looking at the, the depth around the, you look at the window jams, the jam area of the window, door jams, that's gonna tell you sidewall thickness. Now here's the cheaper way to build it, but I can almost guarantee you that that house has wall, pre-finished wallboard inside, not drywall, because it's gonna flex when it goes down the road, because that, that uh, asphalt impregnated sideboard that you see on there is not structural. It won't keep the house from, you know, you got to give credit where credit's due. 
You build a house like that with OSB around the outside, all the way around, it creates a stressed skin type of construction. So when it goes down, because manufactured homes and modular homes have to be able to withstand 55 mile an hour winds and a lot of disruption flex when they go down the road for transport purposes. So they have to be able to manage that part of it. And if, so if you see a manufactured home or a modular home, it's got pre-finished drywall inside, you know that thing didn't flex much when it went down the road, otherwise all the drywall joints would have cracked. Uh, you're not gonna, well, if you're doing FHA, you're gonna get up in the attic. Um, let's look at design issues. Somebody mentioned overhang before. I mentioned roof pitch earlier. You know, here's the basic box, man. This is, this is built for affordability. We don't care about um, visual appeal here. It's just we need to build the cheapest possible house. So you're going to get metal siding, metal roof. Here's something at the other end, and we're going after some aesthetic appeal here, okay? This is all factory built. We're done with this factory or site built stuff. If it's site built for some reason or other, I don't think you'll see another one in here, but I'll let you know if it is for whatever purpose. Uh, the rest of the stuff's all factory built. There's a modular. I shot at a trade store in Louisville. You saw this one already. You saw this one already, right? Those are those. These are HUD code right there. HUD code house, HUD code house. Narrow overhang, you see something like that, you start thinking factory built. You see roof pitch like this. Overhang's still not much, but you see roof pitch like this, you know, it's a, it's a little different animal. Again, we're under the heading of quality right now. And quality involves appearances as well as just quality is more than just the materials and workmanship. It's also how well it was put together, which is sort of workmanship or workmanlike manner. Uh, hinged roof versus non-hinged roof. You get the idea here? One house has seven foot sidewalls so that we can get it under the bridge. The other house says we want to build eight foot sidewalls so we have to hinge the roof. Roof pitch. You can see one versus the other as they sit on the site. Eight foot versus seven foot sidewalls again. Exterior issues, sidewalls, roof, windows, ornamentation and detail. Windows, that's the cheapest of the cheap. Like one storm panel inside, one storm panel outside, right? And here's something pretty, pretty typical in the manufactured housing world, vinyl, single hung vinyl windows. And here's a modular home where you've got the type of window comparable to, it's a, it's a wood, it's a clad exterior wood window, which is what you find in most stick built houses, right? And those are casements even, which are the most expensive type of window. Interior, walls and ceilings. That's the first thing I look for anyway, is how high, are, what, what kind of side walls do you have? How tall are the ceilings? Then you get into stuff like flooring, doors, trim and finish, cabinets and countertops, okay? So what do we have here? Look at the height of the window and the sidewall, and you get to tell you got a seven-foot sidewall, right? If you don't want to get your tape out, that's the quickest way of doing it. This is just a low-end, single-section, manufactured home. Notice the wall board on the sides, because you can see the batten strips between the, between the boards. What do we have here? I think seven-foot sidewalls also, but the vault. You see, if you do seven-foot sidewalls with a big open area like that, What's the ceiling going to look like? Low, oppressive, right? Just makes you want to duck your head or duck walk around in the thing. But anyway, if you vault it, then it opens it up. It makes it look better. 
problem is, if you vault it, I'll bet you that house doesn't have more than six inches of insulation in there. Because if you combine a unhinged, low-pitch roof, seven-foot sidewalls, and you vault it, when you get the top of the roof and the vault going in there, and especially when you get them, when you get down near the sidewalls, you just don't have much space unless you put an energy heel on it, which they're not going to do with a cheap house because that's, that's what you're looking at. When you see seven-foot sidewalls and a low-pitch roof, think cheap house, all right? It could be a modular. Don't automatically think manufactured. In most cases, it will be, especially in this part of the country. But again, remember what I said before, there are companies that build modulars and manufacturers on the same production line. They can be low-end, inexpensive, metal chassis, seven-foot sidewall, low-pitch roof. End of the day, one gets tagged HUD code, one gets tagged state or local code. So don't, don't let physical, I, I know this is the third, at least the third time I've said that today. You may even hear it one more time, all right? Because it's one of the most important takeaways today. Don't ever judge factory-built housing or classify them as opposed to mobile manufactured modular. Don't ever classify a factory-built home based on physical characteristics. You've got to figure out what code it was built to. Now, what do you think here, seven foot or eight foot? You know, normally you'd look at that top of the cabinet and you say, oh, eight foot. Because most cabinets are, you start out at three feet, then you, if you're building a house, you've got a three foot cabinet, you leave 18 inches of space between the upper and lower cabinets, and you've got a 30 inch cabinet. Okay? So that gets you to about seven feet. And that looks like it's taller than seven feet, so it's eight foot. Except what they did there is those aren't 30 inch uppers, they cheated. They own their own cabinet shop. They can do what they want to. Remember we talked earlier today about economies of scale and vertical integration? Yeah, most of the manufactured housing builders have their own cabinet shop under the heading of vertical integration, right? They have their own cabinet shops. They do their own casing. They make their own casing. They make their own doors. They hang their own doors. They do all that kind of stuff. So, hey, if I want to just cheat a little bit, I'll build 26-inch cabinets, which aren't industry standard, but who cares? Uh, and I'll make the ceilings look taller that way, or the sidewalls look taller. Well, look at what we have here. It looks like nine-foot ceilings, right? Okay. Do you remember the blue house that I said was a craftsman-style house because it had the knee braces and the grouped columns? That's the inside of it, all right? Yeah, HUD code, HUD code house, high-end, you know, good quality, or at least average. There's another same house, just a view of the living room, okay? Same house. This is the this these I'll start back here. The blue house that I shot in Cal in remember there was the one with this on stilts, the yellow house on stilts. Then the next slide was the blue house that I said was a craftsman design. Those are built in Palm Harbor Factory in Plant City, Florida where all the strawberries in the supermarket come from at a certain time of the year, okay? But anyway, this was the blue house. And so is this. This was the blue house. And so is this. This is all part of that little blue craftsman-style house. I don't remember where I got this, but it's a hood coat house. It's a silver crest house. I shot that in California. And so is this same house. This is the foyer of a a house that was in real early when I was going through definitions on um, 
modular home. When we had the definition of modular home, there was a story and a half Cape Cod with a green roof and white sidewalls. Yeah, that's the house on the inside. Now here's where you start looking at things closely. What does this slide tell you? I can see three or four things in there that bespeak quality. Remember, that's what we're doing now. We're talking about quality. Okay, you got it right. What, what was that wall? As you said, it's got wallboard. It's got pre-finished wallboard. That's probably not somebody wallpapered over drywall, right? What's your name, by the way? Diane? Diane. Okay, Diane nailed it. It's got wallboard, which logically means that since it doesn't have drywall but has pre-finished wallboard, it's probably that cheap exterior construction with the asphalt impregnated fiber board because we don't care if it flexes when it goes down the road, da-da-da. One thing tends to follow another. Okay, what else do you see in that slide that bespeaks what about the door? Well, it's a cheap looking thing, but it's, you know, it's. The hinges aren't inset. How many, how, what's your background? What's your background? Okay, do you have construction background or anything? Okay, but you knew the hinge looked wrong. What you really wanted to say, and I, I know it was just about to roll off Diane's tongue, she was gonna say, that's a self-mortising surface mount hinge. Yes, there you go. Thank you. All right? Yeah. It doesn't, a mortise is where they inset in the, in the jam and in the door. This thing just mounts on the door and on the jam. Surface mounts. Great. I don't have to mortise anything out. And then one closes inside the other. You see the, the, this part that's on the door, can, that's why this is cut out here. There's no metal here because then it can close on the inside. But the problem is you still have the thickness of the hinge which means the door doesn't close as tight against the jam as a mortise door, which has an effect on acoustical isolation of the one room to the other. And if you couple the fact, now I'm coming to another item, tell me something else about that door and jam and hinge and all that that you don't see, that you might see in a no stop. Is that what you said? Yeah, there's no door stop. Normally there's a piece of trim on the inside, because even a mortise door, they have to leave a little bit of clearance, right? And the stop tends to not only enhance the look of it, but it reduces acoustical transmission between rooms. So this doesn't have a stop. It's got a self-mortising hinge. There's going to be a gap like this in there, and you're going to hear what's going on in the other room. One other, one, one final thing. Tell me what it is. Exterior trim, casing. Yep, there's no casing. Well, how do they cover the raw edge of the wallboard? It's real simple. They back cut out some of the jam so that the jam slips over the raw edge of the wallboard. Clever, saves some money. So, there you go. Anything else? Did anybody see anything else in there that bespeaks quality? Yeah, it's a good, good. I would have missed that. I would have forgotten it. I'm... Thin wall, two by three. The thickness of the jam tells me that that tells us that that's not a regular two by four wall. Somebody's using two by threes. All right, good. Now contrast that to this. What do you have? You have casing. You have a door stop. You have regular mortise hinge. This is out of a modular. Okay. 
And this, I would say, is somewhere in between the two. It's mortised. It's, well, actually, the trim's a little niftier. You can't see, do you see that rosette block at the top? Actually, those things make, make the, they finish out faster than a, than a 45 like this. 45 like this, Carpenter has to be kind of careful, all right? These things, I did a couple houses like that. Easiest thing in the world to use. You cut your, your uh, casing uh, just so it runs halfway up the other, anyway, you cut your casing, you put your casing up, uh, you put a little glue construction piece on the back of that block and you stuff it up there and you're done. Works good, gives you a nifty little look too. And by the way, as long as I'm on the topic, what kind of door is that? Yep, everybody says panel door. Guess what? It's not a panel door. It's a hollow core. It's a hollow core door with a stamped skin to look like a panel. It's not really a panel door. There's a panel door for you, okay? In other words, that, that's, that door is solid core. It's got real panels in it, like a kitchen cabinet would have a panel inside the four, the two styles and the two rails. So be careful on those when you say panel doors. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what kind of shape the Michigan board is in these days, but I know there's an appraiser in Ohio or in Indiana that got sanctioned because called a window something it wasn't. It technically, it was, wasn't. So it was something like akin to this kind of a deal, though. And they, they beat him up on it anyway. Okay, so you have a little higher level of trim here. You have a little nicer headpiece up there, right? Little crown molding on the top of that thing and what have you. So those are the kind of, I mean, if you're an appraiser in here, you're not going to necessarily be reporting that level of detail, but if you are determining whether it's a Q5 or a Q4, or <laughs> this is definitely Q5 to Q6 territory, right? This is probably, you know, some would say it's a Q3, I wouldn't, I would call it a Q4. That's a Q5, that's just standard production stuff. If you can buy it off the shelf at Lowe's and Home Depot, it's probably Q5, maybe Q4 if it's put together real well. Something like this. I mean, I'm not going to rate the whole house Q4 on the basis of this one thing, but that's the kind of door and trim you might find in a Q4. All right. All right. Here's the low end of the cabinet. Kitchen, kitchens are a great way to tell the quality of a house, whether it's site built or factory built. Okay. Look in the kitchen. I'll give you, I'll give you, I think we have enough time. Yeah, I think we're good on time. What's the quickest way? And this, this works for realtors as well as appraisers. You're, you're looking at, at a house, and you're one of the, you know, the, you look at a lot of different things to determine what quality level it is. And this is especially a, in, appropriate for appraisers because now that we have to live with the uniform appraisal data set that we've been living with for the last several years, you have, we have to, appraisers have to rate the quality levels, Q1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or 6, okay, and condition. But we're just talking quality here. Now, when you look at a kitchen, I'm going to give you a quick and dirty tool here. If you want to be able to distinguish a better quality kitchen where a little thought and a little extra money went into it, if you want to distinguish that type of a kitchen from what I call a builder quality kitchen. Do you know what a builder quality, when I say builder quality, you know what I mean by that? I, I, I'll give you an example. If you go to Lowe's or an appliance store or whatever and you look for a dishwasher and you say it's for a rental property, I want the cheapest thing you got, 
Okay, they'll sell you the cheapest dishwasher, and it'll look like it. It'll look kind of dated. You probably won't even be able to get it in stainless steel. It'll come, and if you do, it'll have some kind of black plant. They, they purposely make it look cheap, all right? And if you say, well, I'm building a spec house, and I want it to look better than it really is. So what else have you got? What's the next step? Oh, the next step up from that cheapo dishwasher is usually what's called, at least in the, in the business, the builder model because it looks like the better stuff, except all it is is that cheap thing with a better looking, it has, still has the minimum number of cycles, it doesn't really clean the dishes any better than the other, because it's the same thing, it's got the same guts, but it looks a little better. Okay, so when I say builder grade or builder level kitchen or builder whatever, that's what I mean. It, it looks better, but it doesn't really cost much more, okay? Now translate that into kitchen cabinets. Not so much just on, but I, okay, I'm a builder, and I want the kitchen to look pretty good, but I don't want to spend a lot of money on it. So how do you tell a builder kitchen from what you might call a custom kitchen? Hinges, that's one thing, yeah. Or the hardware, let's call it the hardware. What else? Pardon me? The drawer box. In other words, you're, now, now you're going to ask me if it's made out of real plywood or real wood, better yet, if it has dovetail construction. I've heard all this before, see? Yeah, particle board, whatever. Okay, that's all pertinent. And, and open and close a drawer. Give the drawer a little push, and when it gets almost closed, if it sucks itself in by itself, that's cool. Self-closing drawers. And then open a cabinet door and push it shut. And if it sort of closes itself quietly, it's got the, the self-closing hinges on it, and if it goes kathunk, it doesn't. Those are all good things, but that's really not the quick, dirty way to size up a kitchen. What you do is you say, did they use the smallest number of largest cabinets, of larger cabinets, or did they use a larger number of smaller cabinets? And if they used a larger number of smaller cabinets and got more purpose-specific with the cabinets, okay, as opposed to just the fewest cabinets, the smallest number of larger cabinets, that's the builder kitchen. You see, it doesn't cost, a four-foot-wide cabinet doesn't cost twice as much as a two-foot-wide cabinet. It might cost 20% more is all. So if I've got 12 feet of space to fill up and I can do it with three fours, as opposed to six twos, I'm gonna save a lot of money. But what happens if that 12 feet over there happens to have a dishwasher next to it? Well, it's okay, we'll locate the dish, we'll put the sink base here, and then we'll put the dishwasher there, and we'll put the four foot next to it, and da 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 da. And what I've got is I've got a four foot door base, because door bases are always cheaper than drawer bases, right? You know the difference? A drawer base has drawers. A door base has one door and one drawer. Now, if you've got a cabinet next to your dishwasher, where you're going to be putting your silverware and some of the stuff that kitchen utensils and that kind of stuff. What do you want? You want one drawer or do you want a bunch of them? You want a bunch of them. Do you want a four drawer base or do you want a three drawer base? You want a four drawer base because you don't want to bury your stuff. But if you're over by the food prep area where you got your toaster and coffee maker and all that stuff and you keep your bread, you want a three drawer base because you want deeper drawers for the cookies and breads and potato chips and all. There's a whole art and science to kitchen side. 
And a good kitchen designer and a, a well-designed kitchen will have a larger number of smaller cabinets so you can have the two-foot four-drawer stack next to your dishwasher and a two-foot maybe pull-out garbage drawer, all right, next to that, and whatever else on the other side as opposed to one four-foot cabinet with two drawers and two doors. And where does the garbage go then? It sits out or it goes under the kitchen sink or whatever. You get the idea? Look at the kitchen to say, all right, did somebody really pay attention to what they're doing here or did they just take the smallest number of large cabinets to fill the space? Because I can take the same look, and in other words, the same finish, the same color, the same hardware, the same drawer construction, the same, same everything, and get it in those four-foot cabinets as opposed to the two-foot cabinets, right? Oh yeah, where are the pots and pans stored? Does it have drawers that pull out? Or do you just have to get down on your knees and dig back in there and whatever to get your favorite pot that got pushed to the back? Yeah, that's the kind of stuff you look for in quality. And that applies to site built as well as factory built. So now we'll get back to the slideshow. No extra charge for that, by the way the kitchen education. It's just a throw-in today, okay? Anyway, um, so now we're into cabinet finish. This is the cheapest of the cheap. It is just a thin vinyl layer, like think contact paper, if you remember that stuff, okay? It's a thin layer on particle board. So I take the particle board and I run it through this special machine I've got in the factory that routes out this detail to make it look like a real panel and then I put this contact paper over it and put it in the oven and bake it so it shrinks the contact paper and it adheres all to all the ridges and stuff and I get this look that sort of looks like a panel you can tell by the glare in here that it's the way it's reflecting is it's not real wood and you look down here Maybe my next slide will show this. Nope, that's just a higher there. Here, styles and rails and panels. A, a true panel door will have five pieces to it. Two styles, two rails, and a panel, right? Panels in the middle, the styles and rails, one of them runs horizontally, one of them runs vertically. I believe Somebody correct me on this, but I believe the vertical members are styles and the horizontal members are rails. Is that correct? Nobody's disagreeing with me, so that means probably nobody else knows. So today, for sure, these are styles and these are rails, okay? But anyway, can you see the, dis the difference in the wood here? Okay, this is the real deal. That's a panel door. Now, I'm not guaranteeing that this panel is a particle board with some kind of... Um, vinyl finish over it, that's actually more common than you think, even in a lot of higher-end kitchens. And actually, it's kind of good because if they have to put together several pieces of wood for that, it's okay if you're doing it in like a wood like hickory where you get a lot of dis different colors to it and people say, oh, that's a natural beauty of wood, but other people are saying, I don't want my stuff looking all different multicolored. I want it to look whatever. This is probably a vinyl overlay. You see, there are no seams. There are no seams in that, are there? You can't see anything in there. It's all one 
looks like one piece of wood. I'll bet you a dollar that's vinyl, okay? And as long as we're talking about cabinets, that's what they call a raised panel cabinet. You see it's scalloped out here like this, so the, there's a dimension to it as opposed to a flat panel cabinet. Now raised panels used to be, you say, well, raised panels bespeak quality where flat panels are cheap. That went out the window when people started liking these shaker style cabinets and stuff like that where they go with the flat panel look. So anyway, this is the real deal. Now let me back up here, now that I've shown you what styles and rails are all about. All right, this is pretty easy to tell. This is all looks like it's one piece of wood, right? Well, we know it's not. That's the cheapest of the cheap. It's got exposed hardware, which is usually an indication of a, of a less expensive cabinet. All right, now here we have concealed hardware, concealed hinges, and it looks better, but if you look at it real close, there's no, that looks like one big piece of wood there, doesn't it? The grain pattern. So that, that's vinyl overlay on that. Yeah, that's, that's not actual style and rail construction. It's a cheaper cabinet. It looks better than the previous one, and the little crown molding on there spiffs it up some, right? But that's still a cheap cabinet. Yeah, here's a closer look at it. You see right here, the grain pattern? Normally you'd have a, a line right here that would differentiate one from the other. Oh, and by the way, if they do it at a 45, that's a cheap cabinet too. There's back to this one we used earlier. Okay, that's, a, that's the real deal right there. That's the real deal, but it's a cheap real deal. I think that looks like a 45. Nope, nope, that's style and rail. But again, you got exterior, you got exposed uh, hardware. It's a cheaper cabinet. Open the cabinet, what does it tell you? Cleats, right? Non-adjustable shelves. It bespeaks poor quality. This thing doesn't even have a back on it, right? Poor quality. That's the same, same house, just a different view. Say again, Lonnie? Most of them aren't even the same. Yeah, they have, like I said earlier, they have their own cabinet shops. They can, they can kind of do what they want to. Um, okay, now these have, oh, this one, this, I remember why this one's in here now. There's no sides between the cabinets, is there? You can see from one end to the other as opposed to this, where each cabinet is partitioned off. Uh, what do we have here? A little better kitchen, raised panel cabinets, some ceramic trim around the counter. Uh, raised panel, looks like some sort of synthetic, uh, some people might say Corian, that's a trade name though, synthetic countertop. And th these are all out of manufactured homes, by the way. These are all out of HUD code houses. If I don't tell you different, think HUD code. Um, yeah, this is a little better. And let's go to mechanicals now. Again, we're, this is still all under the heading of quality issues. Plumbing, heating, electrical, right? Okay, let's go plumbing. What does this tell me? Just like that door we had on earlier where I said there are about four or five things, I can see three or four things anyway in this one. Pardon me? It's probably a lightweight steel. We can't tell for sure by looking at it, but I can tell one thing by looking at it. It's awfully shallow sink, isn't it? It's not a deep sink. It's a cheaper sink. Look at that spray that uh, how the sprayer sprayer grows right out of the escutcheon 
as opposed to having its own little hole on the side like you would normally see, right? So that, that tells me something right there. So, okay, we got two things right there. Uh, and we're a little better here, a composite sink. Um, and the sprayer's got its own little hole to grow out of, yes? Okay. Synthetic countertop, kind of a bad look with the chrome there, but eh, okay, at least it's better than the previous one. Yeah, the dishwasher vent's kind of nasty looking there, isn't it? And this came out of either the blue house or the yellow house on stilts. I'm thinking yellow house on stilts, hood coat house, okay? So you see, you see, I'm going to reinforce the point here that factory built housing tends to encompass a much broader range of quality than site built housing. Most of the time, you drive up to a site built house depending on the neighborhood you drove through to get to the house. You're, you're getting ready to list, Diane's getting ready to list the house, right? And okay, somebody calls her up, good, got a listing, got to go over their place, see it, take all the information, get them signed listing contract. You drive up to the house, you look at it, okay, fine, it's in an area where most of the homes were built within the last, they were built between 10 and 15 years ago, da-da-da-da-da. Normally, there aren't many surprises on them. When you walk in the door, you kind of know what kind of sink it's going to have, what kind of fixtures it's going to have, what kind of da-da-da-da-da, right? Once in a while, there's some surprises if something was underbuilt or overbuilt, but normally, the principle of conformity speaks to if you go into a homogeneous neighborhood, you're going to pretty much get what you expect in most cases because most people want to conform to that standard. If they're smart, they will. And if it was a builder development, then, you, then you're almost sure there's going to be no surprises. Going to factory built homes, you don't know what you're going to get. You just have to be care more careful in your evaluation of the quality issues. Now this is a nice kitchen. Uh, synthetic countertops, composite sink. I don't like the chrome. I wouldn't have done that, but it looks like a better fixture anyway. Um, but sometimes, you know, this is another thing with factory built homes. You walk into it, you get into a kitchen like this, and you look at that faucet close, and if nobody's looking, you tap on it with your ring or a pencil or something, and thunk, thunk, it's plastic. It's just, yeah, it just sometimes, you know, it just, it just, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason sometimes in factory built housing. Yeah, now you thunk on that thing, it's going to be plastic. I can almost guarantee you. This, here, look, at here's your bathroom, it's your vanity sink. Can you think of a cheaper way to build a sink? First of all, this is probably not any kind of decent material. It's probably just like you find in a recreational vehicle, okay? You tap on that. This is, this is where the sound test works pretty good. If you're a appraiser, or realtor, it doesn't matter, wear a heavy ring. They're really nifty for tapping on things. Or you carry a good solid pen or something, you know, a heavy-duty something with you, something that's got some mass to it for its size, and just tap on things. Non-destructively, of course, but just, and you'll learn a lot in a hurry. Like from, a, from, what we're, from our vantage point right now, I couldn't tell you for sure that that's plastic and not chromed brass. But I, I was in there, I took the picture, I know what it is, I tapped on it. It's like, oh yeah, okay, plastic, all right? And that sink, doesn't even have, I mean, you know, you fill that thing up and you, you, know, you, sh you shave your face or something and you got all that goo in there and you got to reach your hand down through it to pull the, pull the stopper out? Nah, I don't think so. Okay, so that's really low end. Now we're getting a little better, but this is, I shot this in Texas, tapped on them, they're still plastic. Plastic faucets. 
There's a closer view of it. And it's still got to stick your hand. Yeah. You see that? Hand-activated stopper. There's no bar in there. They, they, they took it out. Uh, at least this one's got a pop-up stopper. That's still plastic, I think. But I so, so that's not so bad. This was a stamped steel enameled sink, which is still a cheap sink. Pardon me? It's got a what? Backsplash. Yeah, it's got a backsplash. Hey, good idea. Maybe you remember that from when you took this five, ten years ago, was it? Okay. Yeah, there's your wall board. Okay. Yeah, see, very little backsplash here. I'm glad you brought that up. Wooden back, no, no real backsplash there, right? No backsplash there. Partial backsplash there. And also, these sinks here don't have any overflow protection, at least this one for sure. In other words, you, you're filling the sink up, you run a little water in there, and the phone rings or whatever, and you forget about it, and you're going to have a wet floor. Where this one, if you look in the mirror, you can see it's got that overflow protection on it, right? So those are all things you can be looking for. Those are all things. Yeah, one individual item doesn't tell you anything, but they start to put together the big picture, don't they? And this. Backsplash, side splash, pop-up stopper, single handle. Okay? So you get the idea. We progressed up the ladder here. Uh, what's this? Solid surface. Decent, decent, yeah, that's a, that's a better, it's still not the world's niftiest, but it's good. Now, this is out of that yellow house on stilts, okay? Um, so, we're getting better here. <coughs> same thing, yellow house on stilts, same house. No, this is the blue house now. This is the blue craftsman style, but it's all HUD code stuff, so you get the idea. And there's the guy with the camera over on the right. Doesn't know, doesn't know enough to get out of the picture when he's taking it. Okay, toilets. Low end, doesn't even have a shutoff valve on it. Yeah, that thing overflows. You gotta run outside and shut off the water at the meter. Good luck catching that one in time, all right? Did I see a hand go up? No, okay. Got a shutoff valve, elongated bowl. Somebody put a little more money in that, right? Another one, shutoff valve, elongated bowl. No shutoff valves under the sink. At least got some shutoff valves. Still kind of an inexpensive arrangement there, but at least they put the shutoff valves in there. Heating. Ah, here's a nifty one. A heating system has, has to have a method of distributing the air. I'm assuming we're talking, assume that we're talking forced air systems. You gotta have a distribution system You've got to have a return system. You've got to have a way of getting that air back to the air handler furnace, if you want to call it that, okay? In here, we have the distribution system. We've got these things here. I don't know how, where the air handler is at or how we get it back. Oh, right there is how we get it back. If you look in the middle of the room, you see these uh, return air registers right here? That's what that need to be dusted. Anyway, that's where the air goes back. So you've got to have a way of getting it into the room and a way of getting it out of the room. Otherwise, if you don't have that, the room just gets pressurized with the air being pumped into it, and you don't get an air exchange. Now, if you look at this house, this image, you've got registers at the outside walls under the windows, which is really the way you want to do it. 
especially for winter use, because it pushes that warm air right into that area where it's the coldest, on the outside wall by the window. Okay? Now, how, we get it, how do we get it back? Okay, well, wait a minute, we're still on distribution, sorry. Here's a house where it's just done in the ceiling. This isn't too bad if you're in Florida or California. It's not cool if you're in Michigan, okay? Because you're, you're, you're not warming your outside walls. And it's okay if you're in a predominantly warm climate because heat rises and cold falls and the cold air coming out of here in the summer months is fine. This is in Florida or California, this is in Florida, and that cold air just naturally falls and it's good to have it coming out of the ceiling. But if you're heating, it's not good because hot air rises and then you get this zoned effect and you better get your fan going, okay? Now here is right in the middle of the house, but it's the cheapest place for them to put it because they got their heat runs running longitudinally down the house in between those metal I-beams that we talked about this morning. Okay, so that's the cheap way of doing it. So this is all distribution. How are we gonna get the air into the house? Now we'll talk about return air. This is good. That is a return air register on an interior wall. That's kind of the way you want it. You wanna push it out by the, under the window and suck it back in on the interior wall, that way it sort of comes across the room, right? You get a nice even flow of air. If you want to